following program is brought to you in living color on NBC. And action. Wait, wait. Ah, wait. What's my motivation? Oh, wait, wait. I'll tell you what my, mo- my motivation is. I was just going to say that. I need to step out and tell them we are actually recording the commercial now and not to come in. So I don't get the uh, hello, Lenny and Squiggy from the kids. Hold on. All right, everybody stay out. <laughs> stay the f*** out. <laughs> I'll cut a bitch, I swear to God. Tell? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. All right. Back to the bin. Whose phone's going on? What the f*** is that? That's Bill. That's every episode now. I get it. I, when I edit it, I have to cut out Bill's phone. Why is my whose phone? The f*** is this? You're out of here. You don't have air supply as your. It's not even my phone. <laughs> I'm all out of love. Hold on. What am I Hold without? On. <laughs> whose phone is this? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to do an episode of what? It's a, we're, all, we're already an, an hour after we were planning to start. Sounds good to me. I hope somebody picked that phone up I threw in the floor. Did you hear that phone? I'm sorry about that. <laughs> threw it on the floor? I couldn't find it. I heard it, like, vibrate once, and I'm looking, you know, oh, nice. like Khan looking for the override. All right, so... Uh, <laughs> and I couldn't find a goddamn thing until it, like... Have you guys listened to the, uh, to the Conjure episodes? I have. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that shit in the car is cracking me up, man. Where's the I, override? I the override! On the road episodes. Yeah, I do, I do too. We need to do more of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's not quite Vampire Hunter, but it'll do. <laughs> I love that picture. Last what? Week... what did I do? What did I miss? Oh, what, the cat? No, That's... Scott's new picture. You, you're you always behind on this shit. Why do I not see the new pictures? What is wrong with me? List, oh, list. I, you want a list? I, <laughs> all I see is we the only destroyed got a picture. Hours, Bill. <laughs> I missed the Captain America schlong the first time around. And you still which... miss it. <laughs> Last week, Shut up. Uh, Dave Weida had, a, he had Pat Sajak... Photoshopped to look like Batman, so he was he was he was, he was Bat Sajak. <laughs> he also had Bat Benatar, but that wasn't as funny. Bat Sajak, that is funny. He had the Wheel of Fortune thing behind him. Instead, the bat signal was the Wheel of Fortune thing up in the sky. <laughs> All right, so who's bringing us in? Not me. Okay. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I am Paul Spitaro. I am joined by my good friend, Scott Horatio Gardner. Hello. And we are joined by the Lou Costello to my butt abbeys, Dr. William Robinson. Domo arigato, Mr. Spitaro. Domo, domo. Domo, domo. Thank you very much 
Mr. Spataro for doing the job that nobody wanted. Thank you very much, Mr. Spataro, for keeping the bins going. Yeah, we need you. Oh, thank you. I want to thank you. Okay, there we go. That was my song for the... How you haven't made a living as a professional singer is beyond me. (laughs) Especially when you're coming up with gems like that. You're welcome, Mr. Spitar. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, what's going on, boys? Anybody got any good comic news? Do deaf people buy albums? <laughs> yeah, they put their <laughs> finger in the groove. <laughs> oh, wait, they'll be blind. Never mind. <laughs> it's a Braille album. It's like a Flintstones album. It's all bumps. <laughs> it hurts my beak. Anyway, super tangent. I'm sorry, you asked a question? What was the question? I said, you guys got any comic news or comic things that are going on? Comic news. Ah. Oh. Um, yeah. I don't know if I mentioned it during our last recording about the big haul of Avengers books I picked up. I think I might have, didn't I? Yeah, I think you uh, did. Well, I think uh, you did in, in, yes, last week's episode, I think you talked about it. Yeah, but now I've, I've been reading, um, I've read the first 15 issues of Uncanny Avengers, what do you think? Not, not too bad. I like it. You know, I started to read that, and I got... It wasn't that I decided I didn't like it. I just got distracted. You know, a, a moth went by. Mm-hmm. And uh, I haven't picked it up yet again. But if you're giving it a thumbs up, I'm going to have to try to... Well, I'm giving it a thumbs up because I spent a dollar on each issue. So... So for four ninety nine <laughs> or three ninety nine an issue, you, you might... I'd be like... The thumb might not be as high? Might not be as high, but I am finding that... Not, I can't necessarily burn through them as fast as I was burning through books at that rate. You know, like, God, man, four bucks for that, and I read it that fast. I mean, it's got a little bit of meat to the story. It's It's got some substance to it. You you got to you gotta pay attention. There's a lot well, going that's, on. That's a welcome change. Yeah, so the, um, it's, it's, it's very, uh, very interesting. It's got a little bit of, like, an alternate... Uh, well, I don't really want to say an alternate timeline, but but it's it's the how far along did you get in it, Paul? Probably about five issues. Five issues. Okay, so that was like the first little arc with the Red Skull. Well, because the arcs just aren't burning themselves out, and it's like that that one you know that one arc is self-contained. It's kind of like a like a long haul, with some right. of the storylines are overlapping. Well, that's now, uh, Rick Remender, is it? Uh... Yes. Yes. I mean, that, that's that's kind of his style. He he likes to do to build to a you know keep building on his on his what he does. It's kind of reminded me of some of the Avengers of old back in like the uh, Celestial Madonna period. Ooh, you know, Scott. Mm. Well, to you know where, where the timelines built up and uh, the uh, the Korvac saga, which came started small and then built and built and built. So, yeah, I, I like that. I just fi- I found that. The Avengers of late seems to be falling under its own weight for me. Like, like the, oh, way the other the books, X-Men, I got, that there's just no, so much coming out that it's just too much. That's why I stayed away from the rest of them. And I'm just, I mean, I picked up a bunch of them for a buck a piece, but I dived into this one because I was interested in the whole Unity team thought where they're taking X Men and Avengers, they're putting them on one team, they're, and what they're fighting up against. So, but the rest of the books, I don't know. I'm just so lost. <laughs> it's like, what? Huh? 
But, you know, I, I almost feel, and, and maybe this is a bad reflection on me as a reader, but I almost feel like I was lost from the inset, from the onset, excuse me. Like, like they brought me in lost. It isn't hmm. even like it got confusing as it went along. Are you, well, are you like, talking into Marvel now or yeah, just... Yeah, basically the Marvel yeah. Now Avengers, the, the, the 35 different Avengers books. They yeah, got. you got Avengers Assemble, you got New Avengers, you got Avengers Mighty World. Avengers, Avengers World, Avengers Undercover, Avengers Arena, Secret Avengers, Avengers Under My Bed, Help, It's the Fucking <laughs> Avengers. I mean... <laughs> I liked... You know, I, I, I never minded that over time, basically, everybody became an Avenger. But I, I don't like everybody being an Avenger at the same time. Now it's who's not an Avenger. Yeah, exactly. And then they're, like, they're bringing in people like, you know, like, I don't want Hyperion to be an Avenger. What? Is he oh, an yeah. Avenger? Yeah, and I don't even know what's going on with that. I haven't uh, read those books. He, he's, in, he, he's on one of the covers. And he's in some weird gray suit. Gray instead of the yellow and red. You know, characters gold. like that, I don't want them to be Avengers. I, I want the Avengers to be a little bit more uh, exclusive. Right, yeah. You know, I want it to mean something to be an Avenger. I don't want it to be everybody with superpowers is an Avenger. What's his name? Uh, who's the, uh, the, the guy from the New Mutants, the Brazilian kid? Sunspot. Uh, Sunspot. He's an Avenger now. Well, Cannonball's an Avenger, too. Cannonball's an Avenger. No, those, those are X-Men characters. They shouldn't be Avengers. Hmm. I assume it probably has something to do with maybe when uh, Marvel lost the rights to the movie X Men, maybe those characters weren't included in it. So they said they're they're showing their you know stre- uh, flexing their muscles a little bit on them. I don't know, but I don't like it. I'm not a fan of, of that. I don't understand. It's just it's it's too much excess. I want you know. Well, I mean, I think now is it possible that there's. Okay, at the height of X-Men Mania and the X-Men books, I really – now, I have no facts to back this up. I haven't counted it. But it seems like there's more Avengers books right now out per month, per title, than there was X-Books at the height of the X-Books stuff. Yeah, I'm not sure about the numbers on that, but it certainly seems to me that it's the same problem they had with the X-Men. That it's just getting too hard to keep track of everything. Yeah. And we're just old. And we're old and cranky, and I want them off my freaking lawn. <laughs> hey, damn mutants! Get off my lawn! Stop killing my dog. Or your cat. <laughs> my cat. I got Madrix the multiple cat. Every time I hit him, I get another one. <laughs> yeah, my daughter had guinea pigs. They were like that. <laughs> Pop. Pop. Another one. How about you, Scott? Anything going on? No, not not too much. I gotta I gotta be honest. I sat that one out because uh, modern day stuff going on in comics just just not not really my bag. I just I can't keep up, man. I've, I have a tough uh, time I've, keep it up. I try periodically, but it ain't easy. That's why I, I mean, picked that one title. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna come in, but I'm just gonna read this title because the way I understand, it's outside of the other ones. It didn't tie into the whole right. Infinity and any other thing that's going on. It's kind of a standalone thing. On this is where I'm gonna play for a while and get caught up on just this, right. not the rest of it. Yeah, you know, and and for a buck a piece, it was well worth the money. Well, that's one of the reasons I'm really digging being into the cosmic stuff right now because it does take place, you know, for the most part, 
you know, off in its own little corner of the Marvel U. So I can just keep up with that stuff, which at the moment I'm not even doing that. I'm way behind on things. But well, what's cool about that, too, is because you had previously avoided it, it's like all new to you. It's a whole new. Yeah, exactly. So now, you know, well, you know, a while back. I don't know if I said this on, on this show or not, but a while back I decided, you know, right around the time that, that Guardians, the movie, was was going to hit, that I wanted to do a reread, basically, of, of all that stuff going from, like, Annihilation forward. And I've been slowly making my way through it. But as I'm making my way through it and, and with my renewed interest in it and everything because of the movie, as I've been making my way through it, I'm also adding more and more, you know, classic marvel cosmic stuff to my ipad you know to just keep you know to just learn that much more so i mean now i'm slowly making my way through you know things like captain marvel and stuff that i never really cared about at all before but now you know i don't know i've got i've got a different perspective on it so i'm slowly making my way through so my intention was you know just simply to reread you know from like annihilation forward to whatever you know is going on these days and you know uh infinity and all that and i haven't even made it to you know the break where where they relaunch with marvel you or with a uh, marvel um now yet mm. so it's taken me forever but i'm having a blast you know i really I think you'll get a big the, uh, kick uh, out of the warlock stuff that starlin did if you get to it yeah i definitely want to read that stuff i've always liked him i've never had any interest in um in warlock at all but i i've always been a fan of um of Jim Starlin, so I'm really looking forward to that stuff. And of course, his uh, his work with Captain Marvel and stuff like that. So yeah, I'm just, you know, at the moment I'm just having fun, just reading old books, man. I've been uh, and I've been trying not to just stick to one thing, you know, to to one uh, theme or one book or anything. So I've been reading, uh, you know, just a whole bunch of classics and even a little bit of classic DC stuff thrown in there just to you know vary it up a little bit, but. Uh, you know, recently I, I was at a sale where uh, I bought a whole bunch of issues of uh, the Defenders and got some early issues of that. And yeah, I as that. I'm going through my database, I realized I only lack like 20-something issues to have a complete run. So here I am sitting on a damn near complete run of the Defenders and, and thinking, you know, I've never read any of them. The early yeah, ones, there's, there's some run. outstanding stuff in there. Yeah, so you know, I started with that. I'm like, well, alright, now's the time. I'm going to start making my way through, so... I started with, um, I, I found something somewhere that listed these early comics that go back even further back than Marvel Feature, because that's technically that's where the Defenders first appeared, was a couple issues of Marvel Feature before they launched Defenders number one. But they had done a crossover in but, the yeah. Hulk and Submariner. Yeah, Hulk, Submariner, and, and Doc, uh, Doctor Strange. So I went back and read those, and I'm telling you, the two-part story in Submariner, it was issues like... I think it's like 34 and 35 or something like that around there yeah man i was blown away by how awesome though i ne never ever thought i'd have glowing things to say about an issue of submariner but i love that two port that two-part story it was great because it had uh had hulk in it i think it had doc strange i think I it had the surf it had so. silver yeah i was gonna say silver surfers involved in some of those early stories but i'm not sure if he's in that particular one i want to say that he is but i can't remember but they end up uh, fighting the Avengers at some point. It was mm -hmm. really good stuff, and that was pre that predates the Defenders Avengers War as well. Yeah, yeah. But it was really good. The art well, was solid. Marvel the story Feature. was solid. Yeah, it, it predates them really actually having the title Defenders. 
I, I want to say at the end of that two-part story is where they call themselves the Defenders for the very first time, I think. And then once they start appearing in Marvel Feature, they on and off call themselves the Defenders. And then, of course, with Defenders number one, then it was official at that point. They were you know, officially the Defenders, but really good stuff. I really enjoyed it a lot and uh, having a blast reading that. But, I mean, I'm, I'm very slowly making my way through it because... Yeah, I'm reading. Yeah, I'm just I'm just having fun, just reading several different things. You know, having simultaneous reading projects all going at the same time. So I'm, you know, reading Defenders. I'm reading Rom. I'm reading you know Captain Marvel. I'm reading um, you know through the Marvel Cosmic stuff, both new and old. And I'm just having fun. I just you know I'm digging my old comics and. That that's the fun thing now with you know in this area all of a sudden back issues we've gotten cheap and then of course with you know the proliferation of, of digital stuff out there anything you want's available so you know I'm just I'm finding my joy just going through that stuff man and it does you know, my heart and, good to hear you into Marvel Cosmic it actually does I well, I'm not having a blast it it actually it actually anybody who uh, who thinks that you're rigid in your opinions uh, this this is something that shows exactly the contrary <laughs> i remember before i before we were doing this show together you and i were talking and it was when i had done uh, an episode of uh of uh, i can't even remember the whatever the title I, I was i'm drawing a blank but i had done the show with bob retall where we went over the guardians of the galaxy and i was telling right. you about it and you, you your response to me was yeah i'll listen to it because it's you but uh let me tell you i hate the f- Guardians and Cosmic Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> that was look. true. That was very true. And I'm still not terribly fond of the classic ga- uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, but I mean, it, they're growing on me. Uh, did you ever read the 90s run of um, them? I, I have not. No, I might go I've, back and take a look at some of that I've, stuff. Though. I've got all, almost a full run of that. It's It's nice to see some of the weird stuff that they came up with for the future versions of uh, certain things. I mean, it's been a while since I've read it, but I collected it when it was coming out. That was when I was in the service and that was when I had lots of money to burn. And uh, I, I was able to, I think I pretty much have that full, that full run. I used to also have a full run of defenders, but I think somewhere along the way, I either gave it away to someone or I sold it. But I'm thinking of going back now and trying to recollect the Defenders and also Marvel 2 and 1 because I never – I had a couple of them, but I, they're, they went by the wayside. So I think maybe next time that, 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 that a con rolls around, I think I'm going to start digging in for uh, Defenders and uh, some Marvel 2 and 1. 2 and 1, as much as, I love, as much as I love Marvel Team Up, 2 and 1 was a little bit more cohesive. And right. they, would, they would do storylines that went over a few issues, which you know more so than than team up, which would do done in ones, uh, for the most part. Uh, team but up in the early problem. days, in, in the early days of team up, team up was actually right in there with uh, amazing and spectacular in in having a very tight continuity. It, as I was reading that stuff not long ago, I was getting a very similar feel, and of course, this is much much later. But it was giving me a similar feel to like when they used to do the triangle numberings on Superman books post-crisis. How they were standalone issues for the most part, but at the same rate, if you were reading them all, then you were following like a continuing narrative. And in the early issues of Marvel Team-Up, it was pretty much a straight-up Spider-Man book that fit into his continuity very nicely. 
as they went further and further along, they kind of abandoned that and they be, it became much more like Brave and the Bold where it was kind of happening off, you know, in its own little world and you didn't have to pay attention to it, which I think ultimately is the death, you know, it kind of signals the death of any team book like that from mm. that era is that once it doesn't really matter, then people stop paying attention to it, you know, well, and that's, well, that's ultimately what happened to Marvel Team Up. But Originally you had Amazing and then they started with Marvel Team Up and at that point there were only two books. Then they added Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man. Oh, you're right. Yeah, third. you're right. So when they only had two, and then when they only had three, they were able to work it in better. But then, you know, they added just Spider-Man. They added, uh, well, actually, I think plain Spider-Man, I guess adjectiveless Spider-Man, I think yeah. that actually replaced Marvel Team-Up. Either that or Web of Spider-Man. One of them replaced Marvel Team-Up. Might have been Web. I think it was Web. But yeah, it's, it's almost, it's again, the they, they just, they become victims of, of excess. They have to come up with too many books. Right. You know, you don't, well, you, you can't just tell a simple story anymore. You have to have, have a uh, continuity uh, notepad next to you to let you know what, what book you need to read next. And, and that makes it tough. I like things interconnected, but I just don't want it to become, you know, that I need a roadmap. Well, speaking right. of books I love, which is not what we were saying. But uh, this just in, real world, real world breaking news. I just just reading. Stand by for a Muppet news flash. A new DC series is coming to TNT. It looks like we will. It says here that there's going to be a Titans, Teen Titans based on the '80s comic book series. A new Teen Titans is going to come to TNT. Yeah, I saw that note. I haven't read the backstory on it, but I did see that there was a note posted on Facebook about that. Yeah, I, I just went went to the link and it's from Nuke the Fridge and it's saying a Wall Street Journal uh, sources uh, says Warner Brothers is developing a Titans as in the Teen Titans TV series, which will be coming to TNT and uh, saying will be tied closer to the 1980s comic book series, which that is my, my where I started collecting Titans was the whole George Perez Marvel Wolfman thing. So cool. yep, that sounds like fun. I, I, I like hope that. so. That'd I hope cool. it's. I hope it's you know the same quality as what they did with uh, Young Justice because that was really good. What I saw of it. Now is this supposed to be animated or supposed to be live action? TNT to me says it's going to be live action. Oh, yeah. that would be interesting. That would yeah. be pretty cool. As long as they do it right. I don't I know. If you know, they're I, able to get a reserve uh, Robin. Everything. Hmm? I wonder if they're able. To, I wonder if they're able to get Dick Grayson for that. Well, they, they said about uh, Night, yeah, because it's Night, about Nightwing. Yeah, Nightwing. it says Nightwing will be in it. Hmm. Oh, wait, I just went to the Wall Street Journal article, so. Uh, well, the one thing that they could uh, they could definitely assure my uh, my viewership is if they would do it and bring in uh, Wonder Girl. Because, man, I, I tried so many times to get into Teen Titans Go, and I just couldn't get into it. And one of the big things was that they just... They, they didn't have Wonder Girl. If they had Wonder Girl in there, I probably would have watched it. Because that was one of the things that kept me coming back to uh, to Wolfman and Perez's Titans again and again. And so, I loved Wonder Girl, man. Do you, you need some time alone, Scott? I did. <laughs> oh, you uh, you mentioned Bob Breetal. Did you see the thing where he just uh, got the uh, uh, Guinness World Book of Records for the most single-issue comics? Yeah, that's that's actually been for a while. They they you know they they republicize it sometimes. It's it's pretty amazing the collection that that guy has. Yeah, ninety four thousand and duplicates don't count. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was like ninety four thousand. Ducking Bay ninety four. It's 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 amazing. 
Yeah, it's uh, just as an aside, uh, I couldn't remember. It was the comic book page was his show back then, and then they mm-hmm. used to do uh, occasional issues called Back Issue Spotlight, and that's I was on two of those with him. Oh, TNT is okay. I've been skimming the article while you guys were talking. <laughs> uh, well, that's good. Warner, it's nice that you pay attention. Warner Brothers, which owns DC Comics and developing a Titans television series, and is in talks with cable network TNT to air it. Knowledgeable people confirmed Warner Brothers and TNT are both owned by Time Warner. So I guess there won't be any problem maybe with maybe crossing over. I don't know. Hmm. It doesn't really come out and say that Nightwing will be in it. It just says that it says... Uh, the television series would more closely resemble the popular 80s comic called New Titans. It featured the 20-something version of Robin who changed his moniker to Nightwing, as well as the new hero Starfire, Raven, and Cyborg. It says it closer resemble. It doesn't say it's going to, but because they were comparing it to uh, when the Titans first appeared as Teen Titans, but saying it'll be closer to New Titans. So that's pretty much all it says. Hey, Paul, check out this great pair of tits I found while, while Bill <laughs> what? was talking. What? what? <laughs> I also checked the email. We have one email in, too. <laughs> but we have one email that, that's kind of asking. Well, go ahead. Read it. I'll talk about the one from Luke, Jack, and Eddie. Oh, no, I didn't see that one. I thought you were talking about from Ron. Oh, I don't know what he, that is. He asked, there was an episode, and he asked, was that only half an episode posted? And I checked it out, and uh, yes, Ron, it appears like there's only half an episode there. But that's, episode 32? That's, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's no, this one Basically, from... Scott does his book. I don't remember who you were on with that episode. Uh, uh, I don't remember, but you finish up your book, and you say, okay, you want to go to the other book? And then the episode ends. <laughs> yeah, as long as I got my book done. <laughs> well, on to our only email. Some say he's Godzilla's underwear laundry man. But we know him as Luke, Jack, and Eddie. And he writes in, what good, what good is a sword against sorcery? I want to say that ten times fast. Pliers of the time stream. First off, I want to thank you for having me on during Assistant Editor's Month, along with my vault of startling monster horror tales of terror cohorts. Oh, deep breath. Back to the bins, always competing for my favorite comics podcast, as well it should. And any time I can be on the show, I relish it, as well you should. The format of the show speaks to me because I, too, love to go deep diving in the cheap bins at either of the two used bookstores here in the in the upstate at my LCS or at a con. And getting to talk Jack Kirby's Atlas was a real treat for me, and I hope the listeners as well. But as much as I hate to do it, I do have a regist- I do have to register a complaint. All right. Over the last point, we lost the call. And we're done. Oh, I'm sorry. The email just disappeared, so. Over the last week or so, I have been getting uh, caught back up on Back to the Bins. You guys have been trying to kill me. Needless to say, I don't appreciate your efforts. Well, we try. We try. I managed to come down with a cold while traveling to Florida for Labor Day and had a really ugly post-nasal drip and a hacky, wheezy cough. This was our fault. Yeah, of course. So every time you guys would make me laugh, it would hurt like heck. And I would wind up coughing, gasping, choking, and generally having my respiratory system trying to do me in. And since it was back to the bins, that was a very frequent issue for me. I'm over the cold now, but the inflammation in my throat remains. This means that when I laugh, I sound like Muttley from Wacky Races. (laughs) 
You do it much better than me. Much to the delight and amusement of my co-workers. One of them suggested I get a bumper sticker for my car which says, Mean Machine. So while I'm tempted to say keep up the good work, part of me wants you guys to do some lousy episodes until my throat heals. Ah, who am I kidding? <laughs> you guys rock and so does the show. Stop laughing at me. You told me to do it. <laughs> Luke. <laughs> uh, trust me, we can do lousy episodes. I know that. Hey, Luke, don't take, don't take this the wrong way, buddy. But the next time you get the SARS, could, could you vacation in another state, please? Thank you very much. I got the Ebola. <laughs> All right. Oh, that just brought the show to a crashing halt. <laughs> why don't we, why don't lost, we jump I've into the books, e- then? I've lost the Ebola contingent. Of course, they would have been gone soon anyway. Oh, I'm sorry. That, that was bad. I'm sorry if anyone out there is affected by Ebola. So wait, Luke came to Florida and didn't get a hold of us? What the hell is that all about? Mm-hmm. Well, he... I don't know. I don't, can't remember exactly where he went. I remember... I, anyway. He must not have come to our area, I'm guessing. Well, maybe he was in and out real quick. Hmm. I finally saw the Abraham Rustler picture. <laughs> Any great <laughs> wrestling Abe. Abe. That, that just makes me think of Star Trek. My old days wrestling. <laughs> oh, true. Yes, yes. Help he me, the bear, didn't he? Help me. Oh, that was Davy Crockett. <laughs> yeah, he did not kill him at bar when he was only three. That was Davy Crockett, dude. <laughs> Thank you for playing, though. <laughs> We're going to have to turn over all the cards. And there will be some lovely parting gifts. We got some lovely other mail about losing excess pounds. Something from somebody that's writing in Chinese. We get a lot of those Chinese ones. My unexpected, so your your excess pounds will disappear. Large and ugly, get the best solution. A gun. (laughs) (laughs) The rope. I should never be a, a, yeah, yeah. Don't come to me for help, people. We are going to cover some books at some point, right? Yeah. Who's first? Should we have a promo? It's a good place for a promo. <laughs> that was a good place for This is a good place for a promo. Two true freaks just got a little more random. Pop Culture Affidavit, the podcast that looks at everything random in the world of popular culture, is now on the Two True Freaks Network. Every episode is something different. Movies, comics, television, music. So join me, Tom Panneries, for Pop Culture Affidavit, The Sworn Testimony of a Dork, at twotruefreaks.com and popcultureaffidavit.com. And we're back. So we have three books. Two of them are from Marvel. But one is a match. No. <laughs> what? How did that happen? But you said so. I didn't say nothing. But you What'd said. I say? You should do what you want. Yeah, because I thought you would do the right thing. I thought it was kind of indie-ish. Do you not have enough indies in your collection or something? Is I that, couldn't is find one. Paul didn't like my last uh, indie. He oh, yeah, that's right. right. 
I think I gave it a C minus. I didn't say it was. Well, I, guess. I guess. All right. Well, I, I hardly want to become the indie guy on the show. At the same rate, I feel like I've got a, a fair number of non Marvel and DCs. So next next time, I'll try to give you the hookup. I don't really you do Although I really time. like the book that you're bringing this time, too. So I, I think it works. Yeah, because do I don't really feel this is a true Marvel book. This is really. You could just look at this as a at some, you know, just a tale of Thor. It doesn't have to be Marvel Thor. Although when you read the rest of the series, you it brings just look at mine as a tale of Captain America. It doesn't have to be that's Marvel true. Captain America. That's that's true. And Scott's could be a tale of Legion of superheroes. That's oh shut up, Legion of superheroes. <laughs> Wait, a tale of superboy doesn't have to be DC Superboy. <laughs> don't make me val- Don't make me Vladis you. Excuse what? Me. Please don't. <laughs> the guy that's in the book, Valadis, Valadis, the pink-headed guy, whatever his name is. Validus. Validus. I said that. No, you said Validus. 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 Sure what the hell you were saying? I was getting nervous there for a minute. <laughs> I thought you were saying filleting. Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought, you know, I, I think I got to go. Don't make me fellatio you. I'm just glad oh, I'm what? not in the same state as you right now. Ah, fellatio. I knew you well. <laughs> Alas, poor fellatio. All right. They so, didn't say cutting linguist. Oh. You want to you want to do your uh, your non Marvel Thor thing first, or should I do my non Marvel Captain America first? Well, if we go by age of book, it would be Scott. If we go by age, it'd be you. Age no, his book, book would be me. Book. My, mine's yeah. from nineteen forty nine. Oh, that's right, that's right. Your yours is well. I, hey, whatever you guys want to do. If you want me to go first, I got no synopsis, so I'm going to wing it. As am I. Oh no. <laughs> we could be here all night. No, it's a pretty straightforward book. Right. So, All right, you know what? I'll right. go first. Yeah, let let Bill go first because I could use a nap. That way, you guys see who's on first. Bill's on first. <laughs> What's the name of your book? The name of my book, folks. I crack my knuckles. Ow! Although I'm reading, so why do I need knuckles? Anyway, Thor: Vikings, number one from the Marvel Max line, and this was post posted. This was printed in. This was put out. <sighs> July 30th, 2003. Cover date, September 2003. Cover price, $2.95. Editor, Joe Quesadilla. Cover credits, Glenn Fabry? Fabray? Farbury? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? Okay, just gonna leave me out to dry. <sighs> Our writer is Garth Innes. Artist is Glenn Fabry? Fabry? Fabrizi? Fabrizi? Letterer David Sharp, colorist Paul Mounts. Don't know what he mounts, but he does. And you can find this reprinted in Thor Vikings trade paperback in 2000 floor. Four. <sighs> <laughs> and our story, yes, we have a professional podcast. I've been eating a lot of ice, and I ate too much ice, and it numbed my mouth. That's my excuse, and I'm sticking to it. I'm sorry. I will not chew ice before I do my book anymore. Because it just is terrible. <clears throat> in this ocean- I, I, I'm sorry. Aren't we supposed to like have some serious things before we put in the comic relief? No, let's just do comic relief right out of the bat. Well, just go pure comic relief. Go ahead. Continue. Okay. On the cover, it's a pretty basic cover. We've got a nice uh, shot of Thor with Mjolnir thrown over his shoulder. And he's looking off in the distance, looking so Thorly. With his lovely winged helmet and such. So, inside it gets a little uh, gory. As we are in Norway in 1003 AD. 
And we are treated to a rather lovely maiden decomposing with a boot, boot to the back of her head, and she's missing an eye as the guy steps over and smushes her into the uh, into the mud. And basically he's asking, is everyone dead? Has everybody uh, had their way with the women? Good. Put them to the sword. Burn the village. Let's get something to eat. I'm hungry. And the entire – we see this entire village has basically – is still uh, being burned to the ground. And the last remaining villagers are being killed, slaughtered, beheaded, thrown on pikes, thrown on the fire. Just nasty. Just so many different ways. And uh, the leader of the Vikings is Lord Harold Jekyllson. And he basically says, ah, duh, they said we were thieves. They said we were this and that. Well, we showed them. What do you people say now? And, of course, everybody's all strung up and dead all around him. And he gets a big kick out of that and gets ready to go off with his men to uh, their boat because they decided that they're going to set sail for the New World. And as they're doing this, they forgot to make sure that the good old uh, um, Viking, um, I guess the wise man, the village wise man, they make sure he was dead. You know, he basically got a I'm not dead yet. I'm feeling better. And basically he curses Harold Jekyllson and all of his men to sail uh, for a thousand years before they will reach the new world. And he calls upon his blood, a blood curse, slicing open his arm as they're sailing away, casting it onto the runes he's holding. And as they're sailing away, they with an arrow, take him out. And they're we're done with the old world. We're heading to the new. And as they're, for many months, they're at sea. And you can see that they're kind of sailing through like a greenish fog. And it later turns to like a bluish fog. And as they go, they're passing different styles of ship. Like a flying Dutch, like a Viking version of the Flying Dutchman or, or uh, uh, what's the other one? What's the other ship? Not the Flying Dutchman. Uh, I can't Charlie think. Roger? No, 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 no. There's another ghost ship, isn't there? You get the Flying Dutchman. Ah, uh, anyway. Lollipop? So, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good ship. The good ship. This is the bad ship. The bad ship, Viking Pop. So um, as they're sailing through, it looks like they're passing possibly either the Nina, the Pinto, or the Santa Maria as one. And then they're passing what could be not necessarily the, t the Titanic, but it looks like a ship of that time frame, that line. And then lastly, you see the little Viking ship sailing past a modern-day aircraft carrier. And slowly but surely, the ship, then one fine day, a thousand years later, they basically sail into New York Harbor. But they're a little worse for the wear, as time has not been kind to their bodies. And uh, you see the crew, uh, a lot of their skin is missing, a couple, you know, just like, they're all thin and ragged. The tops of their uh, skulls are showing through their skin. Uh, you know, eyes are sunken in. Just really freaking nasty. And they pull into the harbor and um, at Manhattan. And now it's 2003 AD, 1,000 years later. And everybody thinks it's a, it's a reenactment or a movie. And then, as Paul pointed out earlier, uh, Chekhov from Star Trek leans in and says, Hey, what are you guys here for? And the answer is everything. And oh my God, a sword through the head. Straight, not even, not even cutting, just straight up, right under the chin, right out the top. And then whoop, flings the guy over, head comes off. 
and they the Vikings just start running it, and there's people are still standing there, and they can't believe they're like, oh, this this must be something for TV. This this can't be real. They're beheading people. Finally, people are starting to run. The cops come up, and they get out. Uh, cop gets an axe to the head. Another female cop get before she can finish her sentence gets her head lopped off, and. The Vikings are just taking everything they want. Nobody's going to stand in their way. They see, you know, where silver towers stood tall as mountains, where folk went about in strange iron carts, and not a not a horse in sight. These are, he's just describing all the things that he's seen before. He says, what place this is? And all at once, he knew the answer. And then the head Viking, Jacobson, whispers, mine. And next you see there's a burning piles of bodies, cars on fire and he's getting ready to uh, basically rape this young woman and he's like ah it's been too long since i you know since i've i've had a good woman and you hear uh dost thou not hear the maiden grave spawn hold and a massive burst of lightning comes down around all the vikings and we see uh, which i like this shot of thor although the hammer looks a little bit out of proportion uh for so says thor who comes to send thee back now and he lands down, tells the woman, Quick, be gone, child. Do not look back. I know not for whence thou came, O Carrion, nor what thy purpose is this day. Only thy fate is clear to me. And Jacobson says, God, I've turned into Tom Harris. <laughs> God of thunder. <laughs> and he laughs at the God of thunder, and it says, To be continued. And that's the end of the book. Now, I went on and I read the other issues, too. And it gets even darker and weirder. Because what ends up happening is Thor lays into these guys right after this, at the start of the next issue, and basically gets his ass handed to him. He he breaks his hands when he tries to beat these guys up because of the curse that's been placed on them. So he ends up being healed later by Doctor Strange. And he goes um, with Strange, and they have to go back through time and pick out warriors from different eras and use them to help fight against the Vikings. And that's all I'm going to say in case anybody wants to finish out the story. So it, I like this because it was a little different than your normal Marvel fare. I mean, being that it is the Max line, it is a little bit more mature. And really, if they didn't go to the whole thing with going to Doctor Strange, like I was saying earlier before the show that this could just be a regular tale of you know well of course it's thor in the modern day but i guess that would put it the marvel universe so i guess that negates my whole point but anyway you still could it I, I like it i think the art is pretty good it's a bit graphic um but it sets the mood it reminds me somewhat of like a barry wrightson in some way maybe that's because of the macabre feel to it um and that's about all i got on it uh, if if you want me to do a grade now, I will go for the cover. I think the cover is a very uh, majestic looking. Rather, Thor looks ra ra rather regal. Rather regal? Rather regal? Rather Rosen. Um, I'd give the cover. This is. I, I'd probably have this on my wall. I'd probably give this like a B plus to maybe an A minus. The art inside. I'm going to give the art inside a B plus as well. And I think the stories, although it's kind of quick, the book is kind of fast a little bit, but,
but it is a little bit more of a modern book. I'm going to give the story inside a B as well. So overall, I'm thinking B+. Your guys' comments? See, that wasn't so bad. It wasn't so long. And it wasn't so hard. Yeah, you're doing all right. You know, you're, you're, you're turning into a nice little podcaster. <laughs> I, uh, I mostly agree with you. I differ a little bit on a couple of things. Uh, I'll start off by agreeing with you wholeheartedly that I never read this before, and having read it now, I want to read the rest of it, which is oh. a huge plus, you know, in, in any series. <laughs> so, so that well, I haven't I, read a lot of the Max line, and I was and I wanted to. I've, I've been trying to go outside of things I normally read for the show to just get a different flavor, of different books not that there's anything wrong with sticking to regular co- comics but i just wanted something you know a little off like 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 the brit book i i did a while back and this force last time or two weeks ago yeah so you know that's where you know i was like you know i know i'm supposed to do an indie it's not the true marvel line that's why i kind of skirted the edge with this one all right we'll let you get away with it this time I'm sorry go ahead you were saying that that you wanted to read the rest yeah, I, I definitely do. Uh, I did read Garth Ennis's Punisher Max stuff, uh, and and based on that, I kind of have an idea a little bit of his style. But this is obviously a very, very different subject matter. Uh, but I do think it's well written. I think it really flows. I don't think it gives you that decompressed feeling where you feel like nothing happened. Uh, it it's almost you know it, it's funny because when we. Uh, when we talked two weeks ago about the Ultimates, I talked about how you read the whole book and you felt like the entire book was just the prologue to the series, the entire issue. Uh, in this one, I feel like the prologue is up until Thor appears. And, and, and that's now when the story really begins. So you're only getting three pages of real story, but it's a good prologue. It makes me want to see where it's going to go. And it gives mm-hmm. me just an idea of just how vicious these characters are. Uh, it, it, I think it reads really, really well. I think it, it's, it's a very enjoyable read. Uh, artwork wise, the interior art I think is very good. I really like it. Uh, I like the storytelling. I like the pacing. Uh, I like the renderings of the individual characters. Uh, the one, the one thing I take issue with is, uh, the shot that you mentioned when Thor first appears. Uh, I don't like the way the inking is on his face. He almost looks like he's a Marvel zombie Thor. Well, yeah, because his eyes are kind of whited out, and his, uh, but but that could be because of the flash coming from Jolner o- overhead. I thought what, actually they used too much too much too many black lines on him. I think that 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 you you should there should have been more of an effect of an effect from the the white from Jolner on his face, and and mm. I don't know, like that's that's the one aspect of it that that. Yeah, but his face I, is downturned away from the hammer. If the hammer was in front of him, I, I would agree with you. But the hammer's over his head. Yeah, I still, I, 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 I don't know. I look at his face. He looks like a Marvel yeah. zombie. What can I tell you? <laughs> oh, one other thing that I forgot to mention. That All right, I, yeah, I'll stop with saying what I was going to say. Go ahead. No, 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 <laughs> no, because it, it, no, because you may have something to add to it. Is that no, this, I'm this, just busting your chops. Go ahead. This reminded me of like the '80s swords and sorceries movie. Like, just actually, like you know, oddly enough, the email we got uh, from. From Luke, there was an 80s movie. Uh, you remember The Sword and the Sorcerer with Lee Horsley? You, you know, that that vein of, you know, we had a lot of those, source, you know, those magic movies like this. You know, that's kind of, you had the blood and the guts in it. And that's what this book kind of reminded me of a little bit. 
like a it take does have like a little a... bit of a cinematic feel to the way the pa- way it's paced. Mm-hmm. Um, so story wise, I'm gonna say B plus. Art wise, I'm I'm very enamored with this art. I'm gonna say A minus on the art, but I disagree with you on the cover. I don't like the cover. It looks almost like they already went for the girly Thor that we're going to be seeing in a few months. I don't think he's, I, I don't like the angle he's shown at. I don't like the white space behind him. Uh, it, it, the cover really didn't do anything for me. So the cover, I'm just giving a C, like a C plus. Uh, so, but overall I'm, I'm saying B plus for the book. I like this book a lot. I'm not familiar with Glenn Fabry. I don't know if you guys know him from anywhere else. The name rings a bell, but I can't remember where I may have seen him before. I should have looked in, on Mike's Amazing World while you guys were talking to yeah, look you him should up. Have. I, I should have. In I some totally places, dropped the ball. Some, like some of the pictures, like the first guy that gets it when they come in the harbor, it has a somewhat, I, I don't want to say straight up George Perez, but like, you know how Perez actually draws people he knows usually? Does it have that feel to you? I, like, it doesn't feel photo reference, but it feels like it's a real person. Like, that maybe he actually knew. Either that or he's just real good at drawing nondescript, you know, I mean, drawing faces. I, I don't know. Because on the next page, you have, like, a woman that's looking back at someone. And it, it just looks like it's a real person. Not, like, a comic-drawn person. Mm. You know what I mean. I, I get what you're saying, but I just like to hear you stumble with it. Just like to hang me out to dry, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I would agree with you, and and it, it but it doesn't have that annoying photo referenced feel where everybody feels right. Really it doesn't stiff. feel photo referenced, but it looks real. And and I would say that there is, a, it doesn't look like it's a George Perez book, but it does. No, no, it, not, not, not not to that detail, but some of the faces do. And like but it, not, it, it and it definitely made made use. This is one of the books where you know the more modern coloring techniques, I think, is put to good use. They didn't get into that muddy look. In fact, it's kind of bright considering the, the subject matter. Uh, but I think it, it looks in, good. Like when they're back in the main village with the fires, because and then as like every you know they're they're all get, get gathered uh, when he's speaking about them going to the new world and all the torches are lit around them. And everybody's kind of like in an orange glow from the fire. What'd you think, Scott? I like this. Uh, I read this, uh, had to be a couple of years ago now. I think I got this. There, there was a comic shop when I lived in Georgia. There was a comic shop down in uh, Noonan, Georgia, that was going out of business very slowly. And they just kept doing these awesome deals on all this massive backstock that they had. And at one point, it got down to a point where, like, if you bought, like, so many books, the the discount would get lower and lower. And there was one time I went in there, and I just cleaned them out. I mean, I just bought, like, hundreds and hundreds of books. And it basically worked out to, like, something like a dime a piece or something. And I want to say that this was a series that I got out of there. Just, you know, it was Thor who I like, and it was also by uh, by Garth Ennis doing some Mac stuff. And I was very enamored of his work on The Punisher for, for Marvel Max. So I was just curious. I just wondered if I would like it, you know. And 
I think that was also right around the time that I had been playing. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember a video game. I think this was from the 90s, maybe the early 2000s, a video game just called Viking. And it was very mm-hmm. steeped in Norse mythology and everything. And uh, and I picked it up and I loved it. I thought it was really, really good because, you know, that's the funny thing with it's. It's actually kind of strange that it is a Thor story because. You know, Thor is supposed to come from, you know, the Vikings and North mythology and all that. But, you know, so often you look at Thor, especially older Thor stuff, and it really doesn't resemble real Viking stuff at all. And so here's Thor finally going up against, you know, quote unquote, real Vikings. And it actually kind of blends together pretty well. I think it's pretty cool. I got a kick out of it. I, I love that uh, that full page splash where Thor shows up and he's just hovering in the air. That is really cool. The only problem with that though is that uh, you know Thor doesn't hover. He he doesn't fly at all. You know he relies on uh, on Mjolnir for you know getting him around. But I'll forgive that because this really is an awesome uh, an awesome picture. I think that that's starting to slowly go by the wayside anyway. About Thor not being able to fly on his own. I, I think. I've seen this sort of thing before. I think they did this in Civil War as well, didn't they? They had some shots where he's just kind of hovering in the air, all kind of Superman-like. I think. I think the the explanation for it is that, you know, his his flying ability comes from Mjolnir, but Mjolnir is magical. It's not literally that he's just throwing it and hanging on, which is what they used to say, mm-hmm. right? You know, that, That's that, what Stan that, used to say, yeah, yeah. But but I think it's more or less that. You know, the, he can hang on and Mjolnir can take him whichever way he wants him to take it, whichever way he wants it to take him. Right. So it's, you know, it's not just momentum. Right. It's it's the I, magical ability of the hammer. I can't for the life of me remember where this story goes, but I really did uh, enjoy uh, this. I remember reading the series and really enjoying it, although I can't remember the specifics. But just looking back at this first issue again, it was like, oh, yeah, I remember this. Well, this was a lot of fun. I mean, like I mean the it's opening... gruesome as hell, but it's fun. Oh, yeah. you know? Well, it that's gets, that's got it, it doesn't get any better. You read yeah. his Punisher run. Oh yeah, and and I believe it's very similar for his uh, Ghost Rider run as well. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the opening page of the next issue, he gets in a fight with the head guy and he punches him. And as soon as he punches him, his wrists break and a bone is sticking out of his wrists and his hands are all gnarled up, and they just beat the shit out of him. And he ends up being taken away. He gets away. I didn't read it fully. I just skimmed it. And he ends up going to Doctor Strange. And Doctor Strange is very almost like Tony Stark, like like the like the Tony Stark we have now in the movies. He's very very flippant and helps Thor. And then that's that's where it goes. Where they have to gather heroes. Like uh, they gather a female Viking. They gather a guy that looks like the John Cleese Black Knight. None shall pass. None sh- and then uh, they get a World War II German fighter pilot. Because later on in the book, the Viking ship can fly. So they have to have the fighter pilot go up against the Viking ship um, in one of the later books. And that's all I'm going to say about what happens for the rest of the story. Hmm. And it just brought everything to a stop. No, not at all. I was just—I'm just kind of flipping back through it because I really like the art style in this as well. See, I, I think he gets uh, unjustly accused sometimes of uh, of not liking superheroes and and not dealing well with superheroes. But I think I suspect a lot of that comes from, if I remember the story correctly, on his first 
uh, work on the Punisher when the Pun before the Punisher went to being a Max title. It was that whole uh, welcome back Frank storyline and everything. At some point, Marvel made him incorporate superheroes into. It. I remember Spider Man was in it at one point, the Hulk, Wolverine, and maybe somebody else as well. And if you read that. It is very bitter towards the superheroes. I mean, uh, Spider-Man gets the shit kicked out of him. Um, the Punisher force feeds, I think it was like C4 or something to Bruce Banner. So that when he becomes the Hulk, he like sets off the the explosive in his stomach or something. Ooh. I have vague memories of that now. And he keeps the Punisher just keeps continually shooting Wolverine in the balls to keep him incapacitated because he knows he'll just grow back. So he just keeps like torturing him, you know, to keep him out of the way of whatever the mission is that he's on. And it comes off very disingenuous, but I think that's because, you know, it was foisted upon him when he didn't want to have to deal with that. He was trying to do a very real, you know, real world take on the Punisher. So then they set him up with Marvel max. And to the best of my knowledge, I don't think that ever incorporated anything from the rest of the Marvel U, except for Nick Fury. I don't think it ever brought in superheroes that I can remember off the top of my head. It was very, you know, street-level, gritty, real-world style. And I, I just dug it. I thought it was really, really great stuff. Although sometimes it was hard to read because, I mean, the guy didn't pull punches. Some of that shit's pretty gory. And this is kind of best of both worlds because you've got that, that grit, that... I don't say realism because, I mean, it's dealing with zombie Vikings, but you know what I mean. It, it's it's mm -hmm. very gory, very gritty. And then, of course, short, you know, Thor shows up. So there's your, you know, your, your, you know, Marvel Universe, you know, mainstream tie into the whole thing. And it probably should come off as very jarring, but it really doesn't. Somehow it, it all fits together and it works really well. I like this. I think it's very uh, well written. I, I need to dig out the other issues now and finish the rest of it. Because I know that, you know, like you say, it's written in that modern style. So, hell, you could read the whole four issues in probably 20 minutes. But it is some good stuff. I really like the panel where the uh, where the head Viking guy picks up the cop car and just flings it for a mile. That is pretty awesome. Yeah, what what bridge is that, Paul? Is that the Brooklyn or is that the George I'm Washington? It's the Verrazano. No, that's not the Verrazano, is it? Well, Verrazano is not located far from the Statue of Liberty. Uh, I thought the Verrazano. The all the bridges are kind of not too far apart. They have the the Brooklyn Bridge, the Verrazano Bridge, the Manhattan Bridge. Uh, you know, you could get to the Statue of Liberty from any of them if you're in the water. Hmm. Okay. You know, when when I've when I've gone on cruises in my life, when I've been lucky enough to do that. Uh, when you were we've, like, when you were sizing guys for cement galoshes, yeah. <laughs> we, we but we've left from you know from I, I think you leave from around 60th Street or so in Manhattan at the seaport, and then you know you come down along Manhattan and then you go you end up going under the Verrazano. You go by the Statue of Liberty. It's actually kind of nice, as you know, the beginning of your vacation. You you get to to see all of that stuff, which is cool. Yeah. And but it is the that, Staten Island ferry that they pass by when they buy the stat, Statue of Liberty. Yeah. So I'm thinking Verrazano because that's going to be near the start. You know, Verrazano takes you to Staten Island. So I'm thinking uh, there's a good chance. Oh, I know the bridge I was thinking. I think I was thinking the Tappan Zee Bridge, which goes bypasses. No, that's that's, oh, that's, what I was that's like in the Bronx. Okay. Yeah. That's, so, that's not close to the statue. But but that first that first mod well I'll call it the modern day kill. The guy that Chekhov? 
Yeah, the guy that greets him. I mean, that was just that was the most jarring kill at first, and then some of the you you got to really look. If you look in the background, there are some hideous freaking deaths going There's on. There's quite a few decapitations going on. Uh, I mean, the oh, but like that first one, just right up through the chin, through the top of the head. It's like, whoa. <laughs> wow. Was like, wow. That uh, reminds me in, in T2. When uh, when Arnold, when, not Arnold, when Robert Patrick uh, shuts up uh, John Connor's uh, step, stepfather. Right through the milk carton. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you know what I just noticed? When he takes out um, the lady cop, he not only cuts off her head, he cuts off her arm that had the gun in the hand, too. Yeah. But then, you know, you wonder, as this story goes on, and it's past this issue, so it can't affect my rating on this issue, but... They're killing, you know, the guy comes over to greet them and they and they put a knife through his a sword through his head. Thor is trying to battle him and they get him in a position of weakness. And this is obviously an issue, too. Why don't they just chop his head off at that point? Thor? I don't remember. Why did they to... let him get away at that point? They had not defeated. Re- yeah, I didn't read it fully, so I didn't really see how he got away. But I know, like, in one of the later issues that opens up where they... They called in the Marines and, and, and like there's you know, like groups of cops and SWAT teams and they decimate them. It's it's horrible. It's really it's really bloody. It's the humanity. It's, oh the humanity. Yeah. These are bad dudes. And they start getting worse and worse looking as it goes too. Like all the fighting is making their bodies degrade, but they still can't die. Like the skin starts falling off and you can see more of the bone. Like they, they become more gruesome looking as it goes too, but they're still unstoppable. So, so what was your grade? Did you give a grade, Scott? Uh, no. Um, let me say, uh, say like an A minus for the, for the story. Cause I really enjoy it. I think it's pretty good stuff. Um, I'm not a fan of all the violence, although it, it were, I mean, it works for this particular story. Um, the arts is it's weird it's it's very detailed it's very interesting i think that things look really good sometimes the people like that that page you guys keep talking about the guy that looks like Chekhov. that particular two panels really strongly reminds me of the guy that ennis works with most of the time like he was working with when he was doing like welcome back frank with uh with Ennis's I can't think of what the hell that artist's name uh, artist's name is I don't really care for that oh, guy I don't think all his people look the same to me yeah um, I mean um I, I can't think of his name but it, that that alone brings it down just a tad for me so I'd say like a solid B on the R I do I do dig it and I really like like I say the uh the splash page where uh where th- uh Thor shows up although he's got the you know the dead eyes there. That's a little bit weird looking. Um, the the one low grade I will give on it though is uh, I got to side with Paul on the cover. I really don't like the cover. This is uh, this is girly Thor, and I really don't like that because when I was a kid, you know, right up until uh, you know I, I discovered uh, Simonson Thor late. You know, after buying uh, Chris Honeywell's comics, you know his. Thor comics when he kind of got out of comics in the early 90s and kind of discovered uh, Simonson Thor retroactively. 
up until that point, I'd always thought Thor was kind of a girly man. I just would look at him and go, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. And, you know, it's not, it wasn't ever helped by some of the, I can remember some of the anniversary issues of Thor. I think it's like Thor, like 400 or something where it's got that really girly looking cover on it. I could, I could have the issue number wrong. I, I think it's four something. I don't know if you guys know the one I'm talking about where it's a painted cover and he had like the long, like, like stringy, uh, blonde hair and everything. It just, it was awful. This kind of reminds me of that somehow. It's like a cross between that and like a baseball player card or something. Cause he's got me all over his shoulder. Like he's, you know, I'm just expecting to hear dun, 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 dun. It's like, really? It just doesn't work for me at all. Plus he's got his, he's got his Son of Odin. He's got his uh, iPod cord hanging down the front of his shirt too, which just he's got a little zipper. For... Yeah, is that what it is? Which was not supposed to have a zipper on his tunic. <laughs> so yeah, I don't I don't care much for the cover. I, as I recall, I don't think any of the covers for this particular series were were all that great, if I remember. But I, I do like the interior art quite a bit. So there you go, failing great on of, the cover. Uh, but Steve Dillon, by the way, like. Dillon. That's his. Ah, name, you yeah. beat me to it. I was trying yeah. to find him. Ah. That was it. I did look I up. Mm-hmm. I did look up Glenn Fabry, and he's done a lot of DC mainly. Uh, Neil Gaiman, Neverwhere, Sandman, right. Endless Nights, Hardcover, DC Metropolitan, uh, or Trans Metropolitan. Yeah. He did a lot of here. Preacher, too, I think. Uh, so that showing, makes me oh, well, wonder yeah, what the maybe, hell maybe I know him it. from because he's he's worked on a lot of stuff that I just really wouldn't be familiar with. So I don't know what I know him from, but the name definitely rang a bell with me. Maybe I've just heard other people talk about him. I'm not sure. Trying, I'm looking at my database here, trying to find the other issues of this. And I'm just not seeing. It. Maybe I've only ever read it digitally. I thought I had the actual. Oh no, there it is. Yeah, I do have these issues. Yeah, some of the some of the other covers are okay, I guess. But yeah, for the most part, don't care for the covers on this series. I'm trying to think what the issue of Thor is I'm thinking of that had the painted cover that was just really like... <laughs> so I thought it was... Four, no, 400 is a really good cover, actually. That one's a... Well, I'm sure one a, of our listeners out there will find cover. it. Yeah, I'm looking here to see, but I'm just... Oh, here it is. Is it four? Yeah, four seventy-five. So look up real quick, Thor four seventy-five, and look at the cover on it. It's flat, ridiculous looking. Good to make. It looks like a steroided-out female bodybuilder. It's really not pretty at all. Oh no, that's <laughs> that's that's horrible. Isn't that horrible? I don't think I ever saw that before. Yeah, and you never want to see it again either. Oh, it'll yeah, you know, nightmares. that is really terrible. Yep. Oh. See it, Bill? Yeah. Oh, I remember this cover now. What the right. fuck? <laughs> Kiss me. Kiss me. That's what that cover says. This is the dawning of the age <laughs> of Thorquarius. The age of Thorquarius. The layout and all of that, it's, it's, I have nothing to be too crazy about. But it's actually the face that really just yeah, totally just makes it ir- irredeemable. Irredeemable. <laughs> the irredeemable Thor. Yeah. I saw it. 
I say the hey. <laughs> he could hang out with Goom. Hey. Hey, Thor. You got your hammer? That's mighty nice hammer you got there. Well, thank you, Mr. Goom. All right. Who's That's got the terrible. next book? Uh, you want me to go or do you want to? Sure, go ahead. All right. Ladies well, first. <laughs> hey. That isn't very nice. Take that back. No. All right. Well, in that case, I'll just go on and do my book. That cover is by Lou Harrison, by the way, and I'm looking to see what other disgraceful. Oh, yes. The Force, uh, Thor 460 is another one that's. Uh, you just look at it and go, what? What the? What? Yeah. Uh, what was that? Thor 460? 460. I, I would I didn't I'm not even looking at that and I really really want to try and see if I can purge Thor 475 from my mind <laughs> cuz it's terrible. Oh god, it's Rocker Thor. <laughs> Namor the Submariner annual number 4. Oh, this is not right. It's it's Namor in a banana hammock. It is just oh, not right. There we go. I got to stop looking at these cuz I got to go to bed at some point. They'll be in your dreams. <laughs> or if, you, if you ever saw, do you remember the the four issue mini Thor core? You remember that? Yeah, one? Uh, yeah, yeah. Beta Bill and Thunderstrike and Thor of the Future in it. The the fourth. Oh man, cover that was awful too. <laughs> I don't know why I felt the need to look up the Namor issue. I wish I had. He's got the long hair, and there's the the big orca whale diving in the background, and a banana hammock. Yeah, and, and it it this I gotta I gotta get it off my screen. It, it reminds me of your Captain America icon. <laughs> a horrible Captain America schlong. You get to see his Imperius Rex. It just ain't right. <laughs> All right, moving on. <laughs> Quickly. Please, Move along. I, gotta, I, gotta Move along. I, I know I can never unsee it, but I want to do my best to. <laughs> uh, I went way, 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 way back. To 19, October of 1949. Good Lord. For what Captain is... America's Weird Tales number 74. What is that, the year you were born? No. <laughs> he was 16. Oh, okay. I remember picking this up off the stands. <laughs> After your paper route was done? <laughs> <laughs> After I finished... <laughs> Well, I didn't. Back then, we didn't have routes. We'd stand on the street corner yelling out extra. Get your newspaper. Get your new. Hey, hey, latest newspaper here. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Young Spall Pitaro, newspaper boy. You were think, part of Newsboy Legion, weren't you? I think this is the first book that I'm ever covering that came out before I was born. Or wow. so you say. <laughs> you guys can't say the same. But. October of 1949, apparently Marvel decided to ride the coattails of the horror comics that were so popular at that time, because this would predate the uh, Comics Code Authority. And they went, they changed from Captain America to Captain America's Weird Tales. The cover has a red, well, it's basically it's a red background with an inset photo which has a very small Captain America and some chick dressed in red and a very large, creepy-looking red skull with these long-ass fingers with big fingernails kind of looking down at him menacingly. 
and it says the red skull strikes again and he's wearing a green robe so this, the story again the red skull strikes again uh, starts out that uh, I don't know how much they followed continuity at this time but apparently the red skull is dead and he's in hell and he manages to get the rolls of the dead and he adds Captain America's name to it and then uh, there's a demon looking over the rolls and he says I never thought I'd see his name here He's like, what the f So then we cut to Captain America's apartment, house, whatever, where he's just hanging out. He's getting a little sleepy, ready in to costume. go to bed, but just hanging out in his costume. And he has a knock at the door. He opens the door, and it's a foggy night. And that demon is outside basically telling him, you're dead, and you're coming with me to hell. And he touches, or he points, and Captain America falls down. Into, the, into some sort of void, and he ends up at the River Styx, right out of Dante's Inferno, where uh, Sharon is is riding the boat on the river, and he takes Captain America to hell, because Captain America feels compelled to come along. Come he gets sail down away, there, come sail away, <laughs> sail away with me. When he it's gets even, it's down, even a Styx song. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> when he gets down there... Uh, he meets up with Satan, who's a very, very strange-looking rendition of Satan, actually. And they realize that there was a mistake, that he shouldn't be dead. Uh, at, at that point, Red Skull bursts out and says, Well, too bad. If his name is the book, he's got to be dead. He's got to stay down here. Too bad, too bad, too bad. Was he Daffy Duck? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so Satan has to figure out what to do, and he decides, Well, you know what? The two of you can fight. And Red Skull, if you win, then Captain America has to stay down here, because that's what you're saying. And if Captain America, if you win, you get to leave, because that's what you're saying. So the two of them fight, and they battle, and it's uh, uh, similar like to uh, Revenge of the uh, <laughs> Revenge Nerds. of the Sith, where they're fighting in the lava. <laughs> What'd you say? Nerds? You Revenge nerds. of the Nerds? Yeah, Revenge nerds. of the Nerds. Some, somewhere along the lines... Red Skull gets uh, Death's scythe and he starts swinging that at him. He has it in, one, in two panels and then it's gone. And then eventually Captain America gets in a good uh, punch right into the Red Skull's face, which is knocking him off the cliff. Captain America, in a uh, in a moment of, of her heroism, tries to help. He grabs the Red Skull's shirt to try and keep him, but uh, it rips and he falls down into the abyss. Tell me that doesn't look like he's pulling a chunk of his ass off, because that's really what it looks like right Yeah, it there. does look like it's in his shirt. But in any event, you know, at, at that point, having defeated the Red Skull... Is he in fashion hell? Because what the hell is he wearing? <laughs> he, he's the green, the green pants and the pink shirt. Yeah, it's very My good. My God. That, that ensemble is just horrible, even in hell. <laughs> so, so uh, Satan is good to his word and he sends Captain America back where he wakes up in an armchair with a somebody must have been interrogating him because there's a light shining right in his face and he and he, now, he and thinks it must be a dream until he finds the piece of the Red Skull's shirt in his hand where he suddenly became mm -hmm. Captain China <laughs> yeah and he has uh, very uh, almond shaped eyes I'll never mix carrot juice and radish juice again it's, what the uh, hell this is this, yeah. this is a oh. weird, weird story, which is befitting the title Captain America's Weird Tales. Now, this would be, with the retconning, this would be the 1950s cap, I guess, even though right. it's 1949. Yeah. And it would yeah. also be the 1950s commie red skull. Right. 
you know, like as I've said in the past, I think you have to read it based on when it came out and what they were doing and everything. And and I, I just I think the stories I get a kick out of it. I I, I think it's a hoot. <laughs> so apparently, you can go to hell on a clerical error. Yeah, that's <laughs> what. Well, not an inspection. Your name it's in the book. Got to do it. Mm. You know. I get, kick, I get a Satan. kick out of this. I, I enjoyed, Satan? really enjoyed reading it. Uh, Satine. Satine. I'm, I'm going to say, story-wise, it's just fun. And when you consider it from the day that the stories came out, I would give it a B. Uh, art-wise, it's, again, it's the art of the time. It's before art progressed to the more... Uh, dynamic, realistic way that it became later on, and in, in you know, twenty years later. So, it's workmanlike. It tells the story. It's sequential. Uh, uh, give it a C. And the cover, I, I find the cover very compelling, even though I can't point to any one aspect of it that really is truly great in any way. But I really like it, and I would give the cover a B plus. So overall, I'm giving the story a B minus. What'd you boys think? Yeah, boy. Um, <laughs> you know, I I would. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that no child returned this saying there wasn't enough weird in it, because holy shit, man. This, uh, yeah, this is some wacky stuff. I agree with you that you have to take things like this with a grain of salt, and you got to try your best to, you know, to cut it some slack and, and look at it as a product of his time. But even in that aspect, whoo, yeah, this is some strange shit. Because it, it's it almost feels to me like uh, like a riff on a couple of classic cartoons. Because I remember th- there's a an old, I don't know if it's a Pluto or a Mickey Mouse cartoon or something where, where Pluto has a nightmare that he goes to hell. And then there was that old Sylvester and Tweety cartoon where Sylvester was going to go to hell if he didn't clean up his act or something like that. It almost feels like that. I love it's, that cartoon. <laughs> yeah, you know the one I'm talking about? That's the one with him and Porky Pig, isn't it? Uh, there might be Seems another one like that. that. The one I'm thinking of is the one where he keeps getting... He's got his nine lives, and it's like oh, Satan yeah, comes in and says, yeah, oh, sitting well, next you're, you're going to be mine shortly. You're going to be mine. Yeah. That's the one I was kind of thinking of. But, man, this is just really super bizarre. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm, just, I'm not a fan of Golden Age books to begin with. And largely the reason beyond the stories are just generally kind of, I don't know, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be, unfair but just a lot of the times they're just kind of stupid but the the big thing <laughs> that I'm, yeah, but they're stupid <laughs> <laughs> you know the other thing is that uh even beyond the stories i generally just don't care for the art and uh i yeah the art in this just does nothing for me it's so weird and and inconsistent it almost looks like different artists had a hand in the in the making of it and maybe they did for all i know i i'm not sure one yeah, thing I do like, though, is... credits in this book. Yeah, I didn't see any credits at all. There's nothing for story or art or anything, so I have no idea who had a hand in this thing. What's but weird is the only credit that's on it is an editorial consultant for Gene Thompson, MD, psychiatrist. I'm like, 
You know, can you tell me that at the end of the story rather than the beginning of the story? Because when I see that as the header on the story, I'm like, if I'm going to need to shrink after this story, I don't know that I want to be looking at it, you know? <laughs> but uh, one thing I do like is that, you know, it's completely unintended, I'm sure. But seeing as how eventually this would all be retconned to be a different Captain America and not Steve Rogers, I like then the fact that his shield is not Steve Rogers shield. It is a round shield and it's got, you know, it's got a star in the middle and the concentric circles and all that. But at the same rate, the, by the coloring and the, and the way that they've, uh, they've illustrated yeah, the shield, shield, clearly not the classic cap shield. I kind of like that idea. I think that's kind of neat. Well, so it the costume, does draw to, the costume has the, doesn't have the stripes on the back. You know, I never even noticed that. Yeah, you're right. Which, which when they retconned the 50s Captain America, they made a point of distinguishing the two of them that way. Right. Yeah, I didn't even notice that. You're absolutely right. Yeah, he's got a giant star on his back instead of the, the stripe. Yeah, I didn't notice that. Well, plus he seems a little scrawnier, and the and the costume in several panels seems a little ill-fitting on him too, which I well, I actually kind of thought that was a nice touch. Well, Johann Schmidt had much better fashion sense than this, <laughs> this Red Skull. There's a shot at the bottom of uh, of page two where he's getting up off the ground when he first winds up in hell where his costume looks like it's all baggy on him, like his cowl is all kind of a jar and everything. And then even uh, on the page one there, at the bottom of page one, when he's kind of stretching and yawning, it it looks kind (laughs) of funny on him, like his mask is shifting to where he can't quite see out of the one eye right there. I like that. But overall, I'm just like, wow, really? This is some crazy shit, man. And oh, I do definitely. not want to know where the Red Skull was keeping that scythe that entire time. <laughs> that couldn't have been pain- it couldn't have been uh, comfortable. Where was he keeping that flaming pen he whipped out to write in a book? <laughs> I wouldn't even know where to begin with a grade on this thing. I agree with you. The cover's not bad. I mean, for a Golden Age book, uh, it's very EC. I really like the cover on it. It, it reminds me of... Uh, is it the old Golden Age Daredevil that had the villain named the Claw? The it was like the Claw, or the Yellow Claw, or something like that. And he had the big clawed hands. You guys know who I'm talking about? I, I know what you're talking about. I'm Are not sure about if that was Daredevil or if you're combining two things. I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe I there am, was the Yellow sure. Claw that would come yeah. later in the Avengers, or well, I mean, I remember. But there was like, a Golden Age awesome. Yellow Claw. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think he's based on a pulp character. Could be. That's just kind of what the, the cover reminds me of. It's those classic, you know, pulp in, in early, like the Golden Age uh, villains you would see with like the long, you know, spindly fingers with the long nails and all that. It's just really cool looking. So I do dig the cover. Uh, story, I I hesitate to even give it a grade because I'm not going to be kind. But uh, I'd say for the art, I'm going to say like a D because it's pretty bad. And the story is like, I don't know. Even even taking consideration with when it was published and, and the stuff coming out around it and everything, I would still say like, I don't know, like maybe like a C minus because it's it's not that it's not fun. But in the scheme of things, it's pretty damn silly. I don't see a story like this ever being referenced for continuity or anything. So, uh, yeah. I, I, think I, that's- I know where this could be referenced because on page two, the demon that's pointing a cap, I think that it's actually Shecky Von Doom. That's Victor's 
demonic cousin? <laughs> yeah, he does no? look a little doom like. Shucky Von Doom. I like the little buck just... tooth. Yeah, so, well, see, that's that's the yeah. precursor. He was trying to go for the mask that Doom has, and but it didn't quite work out there. I like where Cap's getting sucked into the Sarlacc pit. And all the <laughs> board demons are looking at him. Oh, wow, look at that, man. Is that Captain America? Holy shit. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna just go off on a tangent here. Have you seen the how it should have ended for, Cap, for Winter Soldier? No, uh, I don't think so. It's like you know, you know how they do it, where at the end you you go into the the diner and Superman and Batman are there, right? Mm-hmm. And and that you know they they're there and Captain America's with them, and they say so. Uh, when when you threw your shield at uh, Winter Soldier, what would he do? Uh, he caught it. So I guess when you throw your shield, everybody doesn't yield, huh? <laughs> oh, I think I did see that. <laughs> And the two of them start laughing at him. <laughs> Aw, poor Cap. Well, uh, I'm going to give it... Don't take this grade the wrong way. I'm going to give it an F, but it's for funny and for fashion sense. <laughs> it was a fun book. I mean, it's the art's kind of out there. Uh, the cover's kind of weird. It's kind of cool. I mean, you know, if I... For a serious grade... Um, yeah, that that cover is pretty freaky. Um, I'm you know like a C C plus B minus. The story is out there too, but it's still like a C story. And the art, I, I you know, if you want to actually grade the art, I got to give it like a D. So overall, I'm thinking like a like a C minus. But an F for fun and fashion sense. <laughs> that's that, and that's the thing for me. It's it's not that I'm sitting here trying to tell you that it's better than that, but it just I I, I just when I read it I thought it was fun, and that's that's I'm, I'm willing to give it a higher grade just for the fun. It's not that I'm saying it's aliens, but it's aliens. It's aliens. I like where Shecky's whispering in Satan's ear. What a mistake! <laughs> and he's all mad. The steam's coming out his nose. <laughs> but I like the, you know the, the red skull just turns to not. a little priss. Too bad it's in there. You have to follow it. It's the law. went <laughs> as long as I wrote it in the book. <laughs> well, are we ready for the last one? I think we are. All right. For this last one, we're going over to DC Comics. We hey, are going Marvel, to. <laughs> we're going to July, August, nineteen seventy-four. So forty years ago. And we're going to take a look at Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, number 203. Original cover price on this bad boy was still only 20 cents. What does still only mean? It means, it means the price is to about to go up. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, kind of a different kind of cover on this one. It's uh, by Nick Cardi. I generally really, really, really dig Nick Cardi covers. This one here, eh, it's not bad, but it's a little strange. You've got uh, Validus looking like a big freak behind. He's standing behind Superboy, Monel, Karate Kid, and uh, Phantom. Is it Phantom Girl or Phantom Lass? I think I it's Phantom Girl. Girl. And uh, he's like looming over them as they're looking. It really, for all the world, looks like they found somebody's porn stash on their iPad. That really oh. looks like that's what it is that they're looking at here. They're just horrified. 
But uh, I do kind of dig the cover on this. But really, the reason I even own this is for when you turn the page, the gorgeous, and I mean gorgeous, Mike Grell interior art. This is Mike Grell's first full issue of Legion of Superheroes. Now, he did work on the issue before this, 202, but he just did one story in that book. It was a very brief story with, uh, I believe it's with Colossal Boy and Shrinking Violet, if I'm not mistaken. It's a short story, maybe like five, six pages, something like that. So this is really like the beginning of Mike Grell's run. And uh, if you know me, you know I love Mike Grell uh, working on Superboy and Legion of Superheroes. So I was really looking forward to digging in this one because uh, I hadn't owned this issue before. I have a lot of issues of, uh, of Superboy, especially Mike Grell Superboy. But this particular one I hadn't ever owned before. I'm still trying to collect all of the issues in this run because Mike Grell, I, I just I really dig his stuff from this era. I mean, this takes me right back to being a little kid. And for as short as the run was, it's only like 24, 25 issues, something like that altogether. Um, I do still have a couple of holes in there, so I've been slowly working on that over time as I can grab issues on the cheap. So this is my first time reading this issue, but I, I really got a kick out of it. So the story is called Massacre by Remote Control. And the story starts what, what, off... What? Wait a minute. Hmm? By Remote Control, what? The TV show from the 80s on MTV? <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. Oh, I'm, I should also mention that the uh, story is written by uh, Carrie Bates. There's only two credits on the entire thing. Story by Carrie Bates and art by Mike Grell. That's pretty much it. And story starts out, and of course we're in the 30th century metropolis. It's nighttime at Legion headquarters. And we see these mysterious uh, full-body black-clad uh, men and women that are breaking into Legion headquarters. And what's cool is they've each one of them has a different... Uh, Roman number on their chest. You have one, you two, three, and four here. And they're breaking in. So we see one of them do like this karate kick, bust through the wall, and we cut to inside Legion headquarters, and Mon is going, there goes the alarm. Sunboy, you know what to do. So they all go into action while these uh, mysterious four are breaking into Legion headquarters. And they all break in in different ways to different areas of Legion headquarters. Well, the first one that actually manages to get inside, he's immediately cornered by Sunboy, who uses his power of heat and light to kind of blind the guy. In another room, we've got a three and four break in together, and they're stopped by Monel. And it's just a great sequence where Monel, it's one of the rare times I can ever remember seeing him actually take his cape off. And this was at a time when uh, Monel and Superboy, very similar in, in powers and how things work with them. Well, because. He comes from Daxum. Not only is he invulnerable and everything, but his clothes, you couldn't tear him or rip him or anything like that. So he takes his cape off and actually uses it. It looks kind of like taffy in this picture. It's really cool. He's flying circles around them and wrapping them up with his cape, which he can stretch to infinite lengths because it's Daxamite. So it's, you know, it's indestructible. I like that. Superboy used to do things like that too with his, with his cape and with his costume where he could stretch them forever in a day because they wouldn't ever rip just because they came from Krypton, which is a little silly, but I always like that sort of thing. So we see another one. This is number, I think this one's number two. Yeah, number two breaks into the Legion Museum, and he actually succeeds in the plot that he's got going on here. He, he breaks in, he counts down, and he makes this thing go off that uh, it says it has an infrared effect. It means that one of the trespassers got through. 
So Sunboy and Monel are streaking to the scene, but Superboy is the one that actually arrives first. And as he flies into the room, number two says, you're too late, Superboy. You know what the infrared effect meant. He pulls off his mask and he says, it meant I won and the Legion loses. And it turns out that this is actually Element Lad. So he and Superboy actually shake hands and turns out that this was all a drill. Yes, the Legion, they conduct drills in their headquarters just to test their readiness for intruders and everything. And while they stand there congratulating each other, Monel, who at this time was Legion leader, he flies in and he is pissed off. He wants to know which one of the members was supposed to be guarding the museum and failed in their duty, forcing the uh, the other team to lose this particular contest. And they're looking around, they're trying to figure out what's happened to Invisible Kid because he's the one that was supposed to be guarding the museum. And they hear this agonized moan, they call it, and uh, then they see uh, Invisible Kid slowly materialize and drop to the ground. So they rush over to assist him. And it cuts to later in uh, Brainiac 5's medical lab. He's conducting tests on Invisible Kid to try to find out what happened to him. And this is the kind of creepy part where he uses something called the Mento Scanner that can probe the memory cells in his brain. And they actually project what's in his brain up on the wall so that they can look at it. I'm thinking this is super creepy, right? If I ever like pass out, I don't want somebody like projecting my, my most recent thoughts and images up on the wall. Cause God only knows what perverted, I, I mean, <laughs> what things they might see, you know? I don't but know. Anyway. He's on his computer with his pants off. So they basically do a rewind and watch like the last, I don't know, like 20 minutes or whatever of, of, invisible kid's life and it turns out that he's been kind of derelict in his duties because now i always thought that all he did was turn invisible but according to this not only does he become invisible but when he becomes invisible he actually has the power to like shift himself basically into another dimension or something so he's been doing this for a while. So even though he was on patrol he's kind of goofing off because he shifts into this other dimension where he meets up with his squeeze, this woman named, uh, oh, Myla. what the hell's her name? Myla, I think. Yeah. Uh, he's in the girl's locker room. Myla. So, <laughs> that's what I'd be doing if I could turn invisible. So anyway, he's meeting up with her, and it's obvious that they've got a thing going on and everything, and he's professing his love and all this, and she says, yes, I know, but there's something I must tell you. And then it cuts back to Monel and Brainiac 5, and they're like, oh, my God, we can't watch this part. And as it turns out, when you turn the page, they can't watch it anyway, because at that moment, the, the uh, view screen blows up. So at that point, uh, Invisible Kid comes back to consciousness and they're talking to him about it. And they, he realizes that now they know all about Myla. So he gets pissed and he storms off. They're comparing notes. And basically what Brainiac 5 comes down to is that she must have told him something super traumatic, something that he didn't want to hear, something that he, he's not prepared to deal with, and this is what made him pass out in the trophy room. So we shift scenes to the next day. There's a great little part here that I'm not going to go too in-depth on, but it's a really cool part, and it really illustrates what a great and upcoming artist that uh, Mike Grell was at this time, where uh, Invisible Kid is able, through the art to illustrate to Phantom Girl just how his 
uh, invisibility powers work and how he's able to shift into this other invisible world. I think it's really it's a great piece of perspective art that I think is fantastic. While they're talking, we, the reader, are privy to the fact that uh, the uh, electronic brain part of Therok, who is a member of the Fatal Five, that his robot brain is on display in the museum and it's all glowy. Something weird's going on with uh, Therok's robot brain. So then later, we see that Dream Girl, who, you know, up until Grell started working on this character, about the most useless character in the Legion of Superheroes. She's still pretty useless, but at least now she's a smoking babe. So (laughs) her power is she dreams the future. Okay, yeah, whatever. I mean, if she's working at, like, the the circus or something, then that's fantastic. But how the hell do you get to be in the Legion of Superheroes when your power is to fall asleep? But anyway, when you she look dreams... Oh, yeah, yeah, there you go. She is, she is quite the looker in this. Well, see, this is the thing, too, is that, you know, Mike Grell came in and he hit the ground running, man. He redesigned costumes. He really beefed up the look of these guys. They are firmly entrenched in the 70s, of course, but I think of this as 70s cool because I think I just love the look of Legion from this time. Anyway, she dreams that they are about to be attacked by uh, Validus, who, again, he's the big, uh, stupid... Uh, yeah, I forget what the deal is with this guy. He's He's basically like a mindless giant monster that just is super powerful and can come and put the smack down on the Legion pretty much whenever he wants to. So she, of course, reports this to Superboy and Mon-El. And some really nice panels here, just of the two of them hanging out and talking. Uh, my, of course, my two favorite members of the team, of course, are always going to be Superboy and Mon-El. And these pictures, these panels here of the two of them talking and the contrast in their, their different uniforms and everything, just the way Grell illustrates them I, I love that stuff it's great they're not doing anything but just standing there and talking but i really like that so she tells him that uh that validus is going to come a calling and everything and that something is calling him so superboy you know right away they're thinking well this must have something to do with therox so superboy takes off to go and check on therox that they thought was locked up so he streaks off actually flies to like another solar system this is back when his power level was crazy high. And he checks in on Therok, and sure enough, he's incapacitated. As a matter of fact, he's getting kind of an upgrade on his robot brain. There's some really cool panels here of, uh, you know, Therok. The whole deal with him is he's he's kind of like uh, Valance the Cyborg from Marvel Star Wars, where like one half of his body, literally like one half of his body, the left-hand side is all human. The other side is completely robot. So in this panel, he's laying on his left side and this like screwdriver thing is going into his robot brain and like like turning screws and giving him an upgrade or whatever. It's it's actually kind of cool. So Superboy's like, well, can't be him. So he's on his way back to report what he's found when he sees he gets back to Earth and Earth atmosphere and he sees uh, Validus dive bombing toward the legions. So he flies in at super speed. He's intent. Uh, he says to himself, this thing, so powerful, so invincible, a direct blow to the head is my only chance of slowing it up. So he's going to go in and just punch this thing in its exposed brain. He's but when he, does brain. That, <laughs> when he does that, it turns out that uh, Validus is booby-trapped and, uh, and unleashes, un- unleashes this uh, energy charge that actually knocks Superboy out. So that's how powerful this guy is. Wouldn't knocks be- him out. 
Wouldn't hmm? that be brainy trapped? <laughs> right, he, I'll uh, shut up now. I'm sorry. He grabs a hold of Superboy and flings him towards the Earth, which is actually pretty cool. Superboy comes crashing through the roof of Legion headquarters, almost takes uh, Brainiac Five out. Brainiac Five, uh, Phantom Girl, and Karate Kid come running to you know to see what is going on, and of course this heralds the arrival of Validus. He comes in and he just puts the smackdown on everybody. He takes Karate Kid out. He takes Sunboy out. Uh, he's actually uh, able to take Monel out. So he's got a serious power level going on here. In the meantime, for whatever reason, instead of joining the fight, Invisible Kid instead goes to the uh, trophy room. He figures out what's going on. He realizes that it's the brain, Therox's brain, that's on display there that is somehow calling to Validus or issuing orders to him or something like that. So he smashes the display case. At the same time that he grabs a hold of this uh, robot brain, Validus grabs a hold of him, and he's literally squeezing the life out of him. Invisible Boy uh, manages to break the robot brain. He actually squeezes it and breaks it in his hand. And when that happens, Validus, who again is essentially just a mindless animal, he flies off. So Superboy, Monel, and Phantom Girl come running into the museum, and it turns out it's too late. Even though Invisible Kid was able to save the Legion, Validus killed him. So he's dead. And I always knew that Invisible Kid died at some point. I didn't realize it was going to be this issue. So this came as a big surprise. I was like, oh my God, this is the issue where he died. I knew it was in here somewhere, but I just didn't realize it was going to be this particular issue. So Phantom Girl really takes this very hard because, of course, it looked like uh, the two of them were kind of becoming close in the in the earlier part of this story. And she's standing there. She's crying. She's very upset over the loss of her friend when all of a sudden Myla, the girl from the Invisible World, materializes. And it turns out that the secret that she was trying to or the secret that she had said to Invisible Kid, the thing that they weren't able to see in the video, what she had told him that had traumatized him so much, was that she wasn't so much like living in this other dimension or something. She's actually a ghost. She's dead. And somehow or other, he was able to go and, and see her spirit form uh, in this other dimensional realm and everything. And he had wanted to propose to her. He had wanted her to, to be his mate and everything. And, and that's when she decided to tell him this. So she uh, fades away, uh, but she also tells them that you know she'll take good care of uh, of Lyle and not to mourn for him and everything. So at the end of the story, it, it ends very strangely, almost like a like a weird Star Trek episode or something. But it turns out that despite she's you know the fact she has tears running down her face, that Phantom Girl is actually happy for Invisible Kid because now she knows that he and Mila will be together at last for all eternity. And that's pretty much the end of the story. So a little bit of a corny ending, but, uh, man, I, I loved this. I really, really got a kick out of this book. This totally took me back to being a kid reading this and thrilling to this kind of stuff when I was, uh, when I was little, um, uh, the cover, despite being a Nick Cardi and I love Nick Cardi covers, the cover is a little wonky. Validus really looks like D He's got a really goofy look. Uh, uh, he looks like he's got um, a helmet full of cotton candy. So it's just kind of funny looking. Hmm? What'd you say? Poof. 
Poof. Oh yeah, yeah, it's really strange looking. So the cover I would say is probably like a oh, I don't know, like a C plus B minus. I, I'm really not that crazy about it. The story I thought was pretty good. It's a little wacky, but I have definitely read Stranger Legion stories. So the story I would say, yeah, I'll give it a straight up uh give it a straight up B possibly even a B plus. I really got a kick out of it. I mean, it didn't have too many holes in it for a Legion story from this era. I mean, some of them, you just can read them and go, Oh my God, this makes no sense at all. At least it made sense. I was able to follow it and it was exciting. I liked the sense of foreboding that Validus was coming and they knew there was no way that they could stop the guy. He's actually more powerful than everybody. I thought that was pretty cool. And of course, you know, here you go. Death of uh, invisible kid. I, I didn't know it was going to be in this issue. So that's a plus for it. A uh, little moment of uh, of Legion history, and of course the art. I ah, man, I love Mike Grell art, and for this being super early Mike Grell, it looks pretty damn good. There's a couple of wonky panels. The uh, the second panel on page two, where this must be Karate Kid wearing the body uh, costume and kicking through the wall. That looks rather amateurish, I have to admit. That that looks like something you'd see out of a, like a like out of a cheap indie from around this time. But then you look at some of the other panels, especially anytime he's drawing Monel or Superboy, they're just I mean, they're awesome. I mean, when I think of Superboy, this is what I see in my head is Mike Grell's Superboy, and it's just fantastic stuff. And the the part that really wins me over is where um invisible kid is giving the explanation to phantom girl of how his powers work and how he's able to shift into the other dimension because what grell does in the art is he uses perspective to tell that story so you have uh invisible kid takes a pen which this is one of the funnier parts of the story is i mean it's it's basically it's just you know like a beck i mean are they still even going to have writing instruments in the future I almost doubt it, you know, with where we're headed right now in our technology, a thousand years from now, are, they, are people going to even have like pens and pencils? And so I very much doubt it. Well, well, but, they obviously don't have right to privacy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he takes this pen and he holds it right in front of her face. And he says, now, I want you to focus on this. And focus on, on this. the top of the next two panels, what he does, what what Grell does in the art is he has... The, the two shots are exactly the same, except the pen that's held in front of now. Now you you are now looking from Phantom Girl's perspective in this. So Invisible Kid is standing in front of you, the reader, and his hand is right in your face and you're focused on his hand and the pen. The figure of him in the background, because it's a perspective shot, is kind of fuzzy. And he says, uh, see what I mean? He says, when your eyes concentrate on the pen, the rest of me is out of focus. Then the very next panel, he says, but when your eyes focus on me, and now he's all crisp and clear, and his hand and the pen are blurry and out of focus. And you have to remember, you know, in this age of, of slick and digital art and comics, this might not seem like all that big of a deal, but this is 1974. Four-color art. I mean, Pulling off a feat like this in this era of comics, that says something about the art talent of the artist. And I think it's pretty damn cool. I think it looks really good. And just a really neat and very unique way to illustrate this 
point of being able to shift between you know visual dimensions. I think that's pretty cool. So I'll give it major kudos for that. So I'm going to give the art a uh, I'm going to say an A minus because I mean he only gets better from here. I, I think he's one of the great uh, artists of the '70s. So yeah, I love this. I thought it was fantastic. What do you guys think? I really like it. I'm not going to bury the lead on that. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm quite as high on it as you are, but I definitely really like it. And I, I like you, knew that Invisible Kid died, but didn't had no idea that it was in this issue until I read it. Mm-hmm. So that that was that was almost like an extra added bonus. That was you know I knew the character died, but I had never read the story, and now I'm I'm happy that that I have. Uh, well, something really stupid is that I always assume that he died a lot longer ago. But if he yes, died a lot longer ago, then why the hell is he in this issue? I, I, that should have been a clue to me right away, you know. But somehow I just assume that he had died way back. But yeah, well, I guess part of it would be too is that up until recently I never owned two hundred two, and then this issue I just recently acquired. So of course I would have discovered this era of uh, of Superboy and with Grell and everything. After he died. So I guess that's a natural assumption that he died longer ago. But still, you would have thought it would be a clue just the fact that Invisible Boy was in here that maybe he wasn't long for this world. But I, I really didn't see it coming. Yeah. No. And and in fairness, that's, that's one of my criticisms of the story is I would have preferred a more dramatic death. I, I almost felt like, you know, and, you know, it's almost damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because... Right. There is some sort of appeal to the aspect of, you know, it was unexpected, it was unforeseen, and and wow, this just came out of nowhere and it happened. But I I also like to see, you know, almost where where, like it was almost like he he was died unexpectedly. Like it wasn't like he made a sacrifice and he knew, oh, if I do this, I'm gonna get killed. It just happened that as he was doing it, he got killed. Uh, I don't know. I, I I like the very very dramatic death issues. So uh, I'm taking points off it that it probably doesn't deserve to lose. Well, let me ask you. In in fairness, is, is that us projecting maybe a because mo- I I I totally see where you're coming from, but would that be us projecting kind of a modern sensibility onto an old book? Because we've come to expect these days. I think in comics that when a comics character bites the dust that it's a it's a big thing that you know about it for months ahead of time it's kind of touted and at the very least it's right there on the cover this issue a character dies or something like that and in this one you're right he dies a tasha yar death he really does yes yeah, he that's dies a, and that's, that's it. an apt description of it but in real life i mean do we all get a, a dramatic send-off not necessarily you know people die every day and sometimes not in the most glorious of ways you know sometimes people just die just you know very simple deaths and that's kind of what happens here i mean it is heroic but at the same rate yeah there's not a lot of fanfare it's the last two pages of the story he's squeezed to death and he's dead and yeah. oh yeah and we're happy for him now that he's dead uh, <laughs> right <laughs> i i see i i can almost justify the tasha yard death more now because now, now comic book deaths aren't as uncommon because comic book resurrections happen all the time. So it's right. like, yeah, all right, we'll kill this guy off. We'll bring him back in a year or two. Uh, back then, deaths were permanent. You know, at least right. they were expected to be permanent. So 
you didn't kill off very many characters. It was it was a rare opportunity as a writer that they're saying, you know what, we we feel this character doesn't fit anymore. We're going to kill him off. Uh, there doesn't have to be the huge fanfare before, but the, when the moment comes, I think I think as a writer it should be very dramatic, and I think it should be something that that you look at and, and is you know heroic and touching when it happens. And this this almost seemed like you know like almost a non-event for something that's major. Right. So I, I find that a little disappointing, and I I almost feel like although your point is valid. I think in the past, the death should have even been more dramatic because they were so uncommon. You know, it, it, it's, I remember you know reading later Legion books, and again, I never read this one before, but I remember reading the later Legion books, and they would always go back on, oh, you know, here's our hall with the statues of the de- the, the Legionnaires who've died. And it was such a big thing because, you know, it didn't happen right. that often. Well, see, it's funny you bring that up because I was going to actually use that Two is not, I don't want to say an argument against you, but another point I was going to make is, you know, if you remember Furo Lad. Mm-hmm. Now, I hadn't read that story as a kid. I, I only ever heard him referred back to in the way that you're talking about. It, it seemed like every other issue or every other story, somebody would mention Furo Lad, or you would see his statue somewhere in the Legion headquarters. And it just built up this legend over the year that this guy had been important that he had been a big deal in the legion of superheroes and he'd gone out with this dramatic death that saved the earth and you know he killed the sun eater and wow what a what a big important chapter in the history of the legion of superheroes and then when i finally read it one day i was kind of like what that's it because i mean he again he doesn't exactly die a chump death but it is not like some giant spectacle i mean he basically uh if I remember right, I think he like clocks Superboy or something. He like takes Superboy out, takes his place, flies the Sun Eater bomb in, kills the thing, and he dies in the process. And it's not really like uh, you know overwrought or anything. It's just it just kind of happens. But then after that, he would be referenced, as you say, for years after that. Like you know, remember Feral Lad and you know his awesome sacrifice and all that. But it actually wasn't all that awesome when you look back at the actual story that it happens in. And it's I think a little this is very similar. Yeah, you know, to, find, I, I, to finally read the issue that he dies and and have it be anticlimactic is disappointing. After you know they made such a big deal about it posthumously. Right. So, so story wise, I'm I'm going to take a little points away for being less dramatic and 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 having less of a build up to this to this actual death scene. So, story wise, I'm going to say C plus. It is eventful, so it's not just your average book, but it could have been done so much better. So, I'm going to say C plus on the story. Uh, the cover, I kind of agree with you. The one thing I really like about the cover is Superboy looks like a boy. Yeah. That's that's yeah, the one does. one thing I look at that I say, you know, not every artist captures that. Mm-hmm. They just, you know, some artists just draw a smaller Superman. Right. So I, I well, like the fact look, that you look at his face, look he looks young. young. Yeah. Uh, they actually art-wise, look considerably younger than they do in the inside the the issue itself, too. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know what? Mike Rell is kind of drawing him as a small Superman. <laughs> Slightly younger looking, but not as much as, as, as on the cover. Uh, I always took his Legion to be like late teens, maybe even early 20s. It, it, this reminds me, and again, of course, it would happen later, but 
his take on the Legion reminds me a lot of Perez's take on the uh, Teen Titans, whereas really um, Changeling was the only one I ever really saw as as teen. The rest of them always looked to me like they were early 20s, and that's kind of the vibe I get with uh, with this Legion here, too. Yes. Because Superboy looks to be anywhere from 16 to, like, 22. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, I, I am also unabashed in my Mike Grell uh, fanhood. And I, I always considered, you know, I, I've, I've sung the uh, praises of Neil Adams over the years, and I always considered Mike Grell to be just just a pinch lower, but very similar in many many ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I would still put Adams slightly higher than him, but I'm a big fan of Grell, and I and I I don't see him so much as copying Adams, but just similar in many ways. Cut from the same cloth, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, but but this is very early in the Mike Grell run. This is before he really totally got it together. Uh, the splash page it looks like the anatomy is a little off, uh, especially on Monel. Which one? The opening splash? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Monel's a little wonky looking. He's, he's right kind of got a pinhead with a big, bulky body. <laughs> uh, some of the positioning of some of the characters throughout the book, you know, could be a little bit better. Uh, my personal favorite is the shot of Monel wrapping the two guys up in in the cape. Yeah, I, I think that's awesome, and that, that is to me that is very reminiscent of Neil Young because he Neil Neil Young Neil Adams <laughs> very reminiscent hey, of Neil, hey, very reminiscent of Neil Adams uh, in the way that he he breaks the structure of the panel layout in the in the page as well, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 I, and it, it's very well played as far as uh, I don't usually like when there's no backgrounds when because to me that's usually a sign of lazy art. But in this, uh, it's a sign in this instance, I think it's a stylistic choice that works well. <laughs> what would you say? I missed what you said. I said it's a sign that Vinny Coletta is your anchor. Yeah, that's 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 often the case. And, and if you've ever seen there's there's uh, there's some pictures out there on the web. You could do a search, and what it compares Jack Kirby's pencils to what Vinny Coletta actually, you know, did with his finishing work. Right. And and you could see things that were erased and and, and it, it's just it's galling when you see it. So I, I would recommend to everybody check that out because it, it gives you a little piece of comic book history. Because <laughs> you want to be galled, right? <laughs> well, but you know it, it 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 shows you how some you know Kirby even got sold short sometimes. Uh, I I like you know I I hadn't even really focused quite as much on that shot of Invisible Kid with the pen until you pointed it out, and I really do like that, and and I as as you were uh, pointing it out, I was thinking you know it it really is more of a tribute to the inker than it is to the penciler, so I went on to uh, Mike's Amazing World and I looked just to check and yes Mike Rell did ink his own pencils on this, mm-hmm. so he gets credit for both, and and that is that is a very very intelligent way to show what he, you know, to demonstrate what he's talking about. So I really like that. Uh, so overall, I'm going to say B for the artwork. I think Mike Grell at his best is kind of an A minus, and this isn't Mike Grell quite at his best. So right. I'm going to I'm going to say just a B. Uh, so B for the uh, I don't even remember what I said. I said a C plus for the story, B for the art, and 
C for the cover. So overall, I'm going to give it a B minus. Bill, when did Pharaoh Lad die? Did he die prior to this? Oh yeah, yeah. He's been dead for quite a while by this point. Because it's um, because um, the same page that you guys uh, uh, with the pen. The next one down, there's a statue of Feral Lad right behind them. Yeah, he's on page. If you look on page seven as well. Um, yeah, just I was before Invisible Lad passes out, he's uh, his statue's there too. Yeah, he was constantly being referenced. Even you know whether it was somebody actually talking about him or just a statue or a plaque or whatever. But yeah, he was constantly referenced, and and that's what I mean that this big giant thing is built up around him. You know, to the point where when I finally did get, you know, a copy of that story, I was kind of let down by it. Like, it, it just, it's not the big thing that it's, it had been made out to be over time. And I, I see this somewhat similarly now. Of course, Invisible Kid doesn't die, you know, saving the, the galaxy or saving the planet or anything. But I, I do see this the two deaths as being very similar nonetheless. Um. I've never really read a lot of the Legion from this time frame, and it's only some of the more recent Legion stuff um, that was in, I want to say, the 2000s, mm -hmm. and that tied in like the Legion of Three Worlds. I mean, I've 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 seen them when they've been in other books, but I've never read straight up Legion stories, and none of the stuff right here I've ever read that I can remember, and I don't have any of it in my collections. Now I'm that's but it's just it just worked that way. It wasn't because I didn't like them because when I have read them, I've liked them. But I one thing is I've never really known where to start because I know there's a lot of confusion. Or isn't there so many different versions of the Legion, different well, timelines? Well, if, if you're talking like a like a modern day, then yes, because there's umpteen different ones. Because the crisis gutted the Legion of Superheroes. Because essentially what, you know, the Legion of Superheroes is built on one premise, that they look back to Superboy as an inspiration. That, right. That these, these kids, in, you know, a thousand years from now, look back and go, Superboy, man, he was the shit, man. Let's be like Superboy and let's form a clubhouse and, and a, a team of super, you know, teens based around Superboy. And when they get established, they actually decide, let's go back in time and invite Superboy to you know be a part of our of our little group here, and so that's essentially where it all builds from. Um, now, of course, you know I, I'm prejudiced. I, I, if someone were to ask me, well, where should I start? I would say start here because I think it's a good, clean place to start. You know, start with uh, with 203 because this is where. Oh, you mean you actually in. start right here? I, I would, or maybe just slightly before here because you know. Um, okay. I think it was Dave Cockrum, I think, had a, sh a short run just before this as well that was really good stuff. Yeah, he but, designed a lot of these characters. Yeah. So, I mean, so, you know, but somewhere right in this era, because if you go back much further than this, then you're getting into the truly Silver Agey incarnation of the Legion. Now, I don't want to slag that stuff because there's a lot of great stories in there. There's a lot of fun in there. But at the same rate, there is a lot of silver aginess, and and it's the stereotypical silver aginess where it's it's wacky. It doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense, and you can only take it in small doses before you could seriously risk injuring your brain. 
Whereas this stuff tends to be a little more straightforward. It's it's a little more, you know, superhero stuff from the 70s. So again, it, it might have some strangeness or some weirdness, but for the most part, they're they're action adventure science fiction stories. And I think there's some really good stuff in here. Not long after this, you know, right now uh, with this issue, uh, Carrie Bates is the uh, writer on here. But not long after that, uh, Jim Shooter would come back again and tackle the Legion. And that's some of the best stuff there's ever been for the Legion. And then, you know, they'd they'd go a couple of years and Superboy as a title would stop. And that was about 258, I think. And then the title switched over, the numbering stayed and everything, but the title switched over and it became just Legion of Superhero. Superboy was out at that point. And it kind of meanders for, I don't know, maybe a couple years, I think. But where it really takes off is where Paul Levitz and Keith Given team up. So Paul Levitz was doing the stories, and I think it was kind of a collaborative effort, if I'm not mistaken. And Keith Given was doing the art. And that collaboration lasts pretty much through the end of that title, uh, somewhere in the 300s, like 3, I don't know, 13 or something like that. And that stuff is some of the best uh, material that DC was putting out in the 80s, bar none. It's just phenomenal. You've got like the Great Darkness Saga and some really phenomenal stories in there. Now, that's right up to the crisis, basically? Yeah, pretty much, because um, just shortly before the crisis, because Legion was doing so well, they launched a Baxter book, which was, uh, I think it was a direct sales book, if I'm not mistaken. Right, like they did with the New Teen Titans. Yeah, exactly. And I I know that in my area, I couldn't find it, because uh, being direct sales, and we didn't have a direct sales market at this time when I was a kid, what they did was, um, you remember how... It was like a year behind when it came out. Yeah, yeah. When when uh, Titans had its direct sales book, then they created uh, Tales of the Teen Titans. That was the reprint book that was about a year behind. They did the uh, same exact thing with uh, the Legion. They had Tales of the Legion of Superheroes, which was uh, about I don't know six months to a year behind as well, and it was just reprinting the Baxter stuff. So that was my first exposure to the Baxter stories. And that Baxter run is friggin' phenomenal. It's really, really good stuff. And that would continue for, I think it was like 63 issues or something. It went past the crisis and everything. Um, But the crisis, uh, what it did to them was uh, it it took Superboy off the table. So when when suddenly Superboy no longer exists and was never part of Superman's history at all, then who the hell are the Legion of Superheroes? And they never really recovered from that, much the same way over in Titans that that Wonder Girl never really recovered from now no longer being uh, the little sister of Wonder Woman. Her entire origin and everything just was called into question. The same thing happened right. to the entire team of the Legion. Suddenly you were like, well, well, who are these guys? And more importantly to me was the question of why should I give a shit if they're not part of superman's universe anymore then it kind of to me anyway it kind of made them less special because that was one of the things that always made them special to me was that they were an integral part of superman's extended family because they had been his his pals when he was a kid well now he never was superboy so they they kind of lost their relevancy and in a lot of ways i don't think they ever recovered from that 
not to, that's not to say there weren't some great stories after that point, but to me, my interest in Legion kind of ends when, uh, spoiler, there was a story in the, in the uh, Baxter run where they decided to kind of wrap up the whole Superboy thing. Who the hell was Superboy if he wasn't Superman when he was a kid? So they took that Superboy from the pocket universe that Byrne had come up with and everything to explain, kind of right. explain who he I was. That. Yeah. And there was a story where it kind of wrapped the whole thing up and it was a crossover between Byrne's Superman, early issues of his Superman and the Baxter Legion of Superheroes book. And at the end of that story, again, spoiler alert, Superboy dies. He's killed. And when he dies in action and, and the Legion essentially, you know, at the very end of that issue, they kind of, you know, they, they put him to rest. That to me is kind of the end of my interest in, in Legion of Superheroes, because to me, well, the story's over at that point. You know, your, your big guy's off the table and, and the story was kind of wrapped up with a neat little bow. And of course, Legion would continue for years after that. But my interest in it pretty, pretty much waned after that point. You know, with with a few exceptions, there were still some good stories after that, but it just it was never the same again. They tried to take Monel and make him the the placeholder for Superboy, and in the process, not only didn't they really succeed in that, but then they didn't do any service to to Monel either. They kind of screwed him all up. So yeah, it just it just never worked after that, at least for me personally. I think that's. I think that's a common criticism of it. I think it uh, it it just took the focus away from it. I don't know it. Yeah, and and, and it, it it made it into a totally, it, you know. There are certain certain series that got hurt by the fact that the focus was taken away from them, and that they they just kind of seem to lose their uh, lose their. In- I don't know the, the, their intensity or whatever, however you want to describe it. The, the the thing that made it what it was, right? And this this series seemed to to do that, and then they they kept trying to fix it, and it was almost like the more they tried to fix it, the more they messed it up. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I, I that was a common problem that they had with a number of concepts Hawk after Man. the crisis. Yeah, Hawkman had the same problem. Titans definitely had the had problems like that. Yeah. It was an unfortunate side effect because, you know me, I mean, I'm a huge, uh, you know, I'm a very vocal fan of the crisis and especially of of, uh, John Byrne's work on Superman. So I don't blame either one of those for that. But it was an unfortunate side effect that there were certain books that uh, just never really recovered. In a lot of ways, you know, maybe Legion should have just kind of ended when the the crisis happened. Um, But unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, but. It, it didn't end because at the time it was one of the most successful properties that they had. So they were not going to pull the plug on it just because, you know, they had some continuity issues and they tried to work them out. And, you know, God bless them. They tried. I mean, they really, really tried. But I think in the process of trying, they just kind of exacerbated their problem because the other thing that kept me interested in the legion as a kid and and right through the crisis and everything the the other character in the legion that i always found uh that i really identified with was monel so it was very possible that okay take superboy off the table but monel's still there and they're practically the same damn character anyway in a lot of ways so maybe you can make it work with monel but the problem was is that by suddenly shifting focus to Monel and now trying to make him the inspiration, 
then they rewrote his origin and they rewrote him his story. And they made him a completely different character that somehow was a hell of a lot less interesting. And it just kind of just it just messed the whole thing up. And it was such a shame because then at that point you realize, well, now I've lost two great characters, basically the two great characters of the entire team. And that that's where I was kind of out at that point, because uh, Valor, for all his potential, was no, you are no Monel, sir. So it just it <laughs> didn't work. Well, my grade, um, I like Mike Grell art, and this is uh, early Mike Grell, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and for for me, the art, um, I'm I'm going to go probably B plus. Cool. And the cover, I've I've not too familiar with Nick Cardi, but I do like this cover. I I do like. Um, older comics that the cover actually is a part of the story in some way. Mm-hmm. I have a question though. The first splash page on the inside is that kind of just like a repeat of the cover because yeah. the scene doesn't really happen in the book. They used to and do that in in the Silver Age, especially a lot DC, of them. Where, and it's really where, weird where because the, it's the like the splash page would be symbolic; it wouldn't really be part of the story. Yeah, because three of them are looking in the box. What's in the box? Oh, sorry. I was just doing Do you seven. think, Paul, that that's because so many comics wound up coverless back in these mm. days that they were essentially giving the book two covers? Uh, you know what? I never thought of it that way. Maybe. Yeah. That's that's mm. a possibility. Or it could have just been, well, then we have to do one less page of story. <laughs> that's <laughs> true, too. Because on that page, it looks like Invisible Kid's the only one. He's like, uh, guys, guys, do you see this? Guys. <laughs> they're, all, they're, all, they're all looking in the box. He's like, hello. Well, it's got Gwyneth Paltrow's head in it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew somebody was going to make that joke. Well, that's why I said, what's in the box? <laughs> it's Pepper Potts' head. No. Um, so, uh, cover, I'm going to give that an A-. And the story, uh, this is 21 pages, and this is a lot of story. And I like that. I like, I like comics like this. I like comics that, you know, you got to sit down and you read one book and twenty minutes have gone by, you know, because it took you that long to read it, and you know, you just have to stop sometimes and go back and reread what you read to just to digest it all. And you know, as you, you know, God knows how long it would take me to do a synopsis on this book. So, um, <laughs> and. I'm going to give the story because of the length and because of the, of the density, I'm going to bump it up to a B as well. I mean, it is a common story. We do have a character death, but so overall, I think I'm going to give this uh, like a, I'm going to put it at B plus. Cool. For me. And, 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 and it's kind of, I'm a little more because for some reason in my head, the only Legion stuff I have, or like, like, the knowledge I have is some of the newer stuff, which I'm confused. I read some of the action comic stuff, like in the mid 2000s to where Superman is with the Legion of superheroes. And I wasn't really sure what was going on there. And then a lot of the silver age stuff is really, you know, this is a big, you know, I was familiar with them when Titans was coming out with the Baxter books, because I had the opportunity to buy the Baxter books in my area when I was a kid, because we had a pawn shop, not a porn shop, pawn shop, I'm <laughs> enunciating, 
that was a comic book store and they had direct comics and I bought the Baxter books and right next to them were the Legion of Superhero books and they had some of the most beautiful cover and artwork. I can really remember often, uh, I can't remember, Dawnstar, the chick with the wings. Yeah. She, there was one of the covers from that that always caught, caught my eye that I remember um, back then. But I, you know, I was, I didn't have a lot of money and I was, the, the guy that was there had gotten me into Teen Titans, so that's what I was buying, was was them. So I never really got a chance to get into the Legion, but you know I may need to go back and 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 start looking at this too. So uh, so, so so yeah, this this was pretty cool. I like this. Cool, except for Stay Puft Marshmallow Head guy. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks podcast group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com and is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Take a moment to stop by and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. I've been eating a lot of ice, and I ate too much ice, and it numbed my mouth. That's my excuse, and I'm sticking to it. I'm sorry. I will not chew ice before I do my book anymore because it just is terrible.